Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Mark Purcell. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. But actually, we're not going to give you our uh, opinions on things this week we're gonna have more guests on just like we did with our christmas episode yeah. and by the way happy new year everyone it's 2018 this is happy the first episode of 2018 wow yeah so we're not gonna really do our whole like new year new year's resolutions thing on this episode i guess huh we'll do that i do want to talk about it a little bit though because oh, really? last year um do you remember what you said you wanted to accomplish in 2017? I'm going to guess I said I wanted to, um, you know, have raised money for my movie. And if not have shot it already, have a plan to shoot it in 2018. I think I said something like that. Yeah, you said you wanted to shoot in 2017. You did acknowledge that that might not happen. So if you didn't, that you would at least be shooting in 2018. So... It looks like, um, yeah, your plan's coming to fruition. It's partially true. I yeah, mean, partially true. I've raised money. I have a producer on board, and I have shoot dates set for 2018. Um, I don't have the full budget raised, but uh, but I mean, I feel like I, I do have a clear plan, and it, and it looks like it's going to happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's really up to me to make it happen, to be honest. Like, it's not like looks like. It's just like, do I do it or do I not do it? <laughs> You know. I think you're on track, and I think you've accomplished your goal, so congratulations. Yeah, thanks. What did you say? Do you remember? Mine was very simple. I, I just wanted to keep my uh, passion for filmmaking alive, <laughs> and I believe that I've nice. done that. That's, yeah, that's a really low, <laughs> low-hanging fruit there. Yeah, and I believe that I found even more love for it with all the commercial work that I was doing and finding Capital Art and working with you and stuff. Like it's been yeah. a great year. Like I've had more fun in 2017 shooting stuff than I've had in a long time. So it like really rejuvenated me and um, like reignited my belief that this is what I need to be doing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah I am. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I had any idea that the things that happened in 2017 were going to happen. Um, you know, like, I don't think we even knew that we were going to make a music video together no. um, at that time. And it just all kind of just happened really fast. Uh, and I produced a lot more in 2017 than I think I ever did in my whole career, basically. Um, so that was great. Bigger and better things. Yeah, the biggest, to the two biggest projects I've ever done in my whole career I did in 2018 or 2017. So that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I never thought I would, uh, I didn't know if I would ever produce an NFL um, spot of any kind ever. And I did that in, um, you know, 2017 yeah. with a major f food brand, a chip brand, you know, and then, yeah, to work with Xfinity right after that. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Is this what's going to well, happen? It, and it'd be a broadcast commercial, too. Like, really? Jesus and Christ. It's a, it just goes to show the power of saying yes to things. I mean, you've been saying yes to things for years and a lot of what happened in 2017 was directly as a result of you just saying yes to me and the first time we met just saying if you ever find anything you know let me know i'll produce it for you and then i brought you over my dead body and that like started relationship that turned into this podcast that turned into you producing for me on the commercial side so you know we're going to talk to ariel zakowski in, in a little bit and in that interview she talks a little bit about just the power of saying yes to things right right yeah totally 
Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Do you want to talk about what you want for 2018 or what your goals are or anything? Or Well, is it bad that I don't have any? No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I I really don't know what to expect or what I should be trying to do. I'm really just trying to, I mean, right now, it's just about pursuing the things that I, that like pursuing opportunities that come up that seem like they're going to be fun. Um, yeah. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm really trying to create my own opportunity right now. And that I'm sure that'll change sometime this year. But right now at this moment, I don't have like something that I'm trying to do for myself, I guess, other than artifice, but even that feature film that I'm writing, I don't really feel like I have a deadline. Like I don't feel like I need to finish it in 2018. I don't feel like I need to shoot it by a certain time. Like right now I'm just taking my time with things looking for opportunities and just taking things as they come. But I, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but that's just where I am right now in my life. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think based on your last year of doing all those commercials, um, I think just going with opportunities and tackling things as they come is, is the right attitude because you can't control when you're going to get an opportunity to bid on a commercial project. Um, right. And you know, you need to keep yourself open for that stuff, I think. So I think, yeah. It seems like just having an open mind and an open attitude towards things is is good, especially since you don't have a film that's ready to shoot that you're ready to go out and raise money for and take on as your your life's work, you know, because it's seeming to me that that's unless you get really lucky or a certain situation comes comes to you. Uh, that seems to be the way that your first movie has to get made. Like you have to make yeah. it your life's work, you know. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So yeah, yeah, I'll let you know if anything changes um, over the next year. But that's yeah, as of as of January first, twenty eighteen. That's where I'm at. Nice. Yeah. Awesome, how about man. you? Do you, your goals changed at all, or is it just all about the alternate and getting that um, done? Well, I think it needs to be about directing opportunities. So if there if if directing opportunities, you know show themselves or come up i have to pursue those but like aside from that it's all the alternate so it'll be yeah just getting the money raised for that movie and getting ready to shoot it in the fall of 2018 and that's like my top number one top priority uh and then you know if there is an opportunity to make uh something else um as a director that i i that's a like a partnership with another company or something that comes from one of my other meetings or some other connection that I have, then I think I have to pursue that as well. But, you know, if it's me trying to, you know, make a short film on my own or, or generate another short film, short project or a short form project of some kind, that's not connected to finances. Um, then I, I can't do that because I need to focus on my, my creative energy towards the feature, especially if I'm, pulling the all the, the whole project together on my own you know so it's it's interesting because yeah I, I mean who knows what's going to happen but i've i've gotten some interest from some other companies of wanting to do something together in 2018 that wouldn't be a feature or wouldn't be the alternate necessarily so it's like i can't i don't want to say no to those things but but or or shut myself off from those opportunities by only right. focusing on the alternate you know but I think there's a world where I could do both, especially if it's with a team of people and not yeah. not just me by myself. But at the same time, I want to continue producing um, projects for a living, you know, and keep, keep on working with, with Capital Art and with you, hopefully, on uh, commercial projects, you know, so that 
I want to make sure that's a priority too, especially when it comes to my work life, you know, so, you know, I'm still going to edit and shoot videos and all that stuff just because that's what happens. But I think if there's a way to put more energy and more time into, you know, working at Capital Art, even if it's like just being there and not necessarily getting paid, but just like kind of putting in some time to, you know, develop the business and being a part of that company, that's something I'm also excited to do. Yeah. You know, well, I'm optimistic about 2018. I have no evidence or proof that it's going to be a great year, but it just <laughs> feels like, based on my yeah. experience in 2017, that 2018 is going to be even better. Yeah. Me too. I, and I think that my goal of shooting the alternate in um, the fall of 2018 is the first time that I've ever said I want to shoot a movie next year and I actually thought that it, not that I, I always thought I could do it, but I think this is like the actual time where I have real evidence and proof that I actually can do it because I have a team that's forming around the project. I do have some money raised for it. I have some connections to some potential other investors. So, you know, it's going to be a tough road, but I think, you know, it feels good. It feels like it's going to happen. So it's encouraging. Yeah, that's great. Well, we have an extra long episode for you guys. Um, we did try to keep our interviews to 20 minutes each, and it just didn't happen. We just had so much to talk about with, <laughs> right. with our next three guests. Um, we're going to have Andrew Schrader on, who was the first guest ever on the podcast, and then Ariel Zakowski, who is an editor that we had on um, mm -hmm. way back in the, in the episode 60s. And so yeah. that would have been in our second year of the podcast. And then um, Evan Kidd, who was also in the first year of the podcast, who was the first filmmaker we talked to that had made a super, super low budget movie. He made his first film for $3,000. Yeah. So we'll get so. to hear about like where, where he's gone with that movie, where it's where it is now. Because when we talked to him last, I think it was just in the going to film festivals. Yeah, he just so. finished it. Yeah, so now we get some answers to some questions like, what happened? Where is the movie? You know? Yeah. Did you make all your money back? All that kind of stuff. So, so hopefully you guys are out there traveling, maybe you're on a plane, you just have some extra time, um, and this isn't boring. But right. we had a great time talking to these people. We hope you like it. So without further ado, let's start our interview with Andrew Schrader. Hey, Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. To recap what I remember... You were our first guest. First guest. Episode 20, October 2015. So it's been a long time since I've talked to you. I know Ulrich has talked to you because he was in LA. You have moved to LA since we last talked. And um, just to remind you what had what we knew about you at the time, or what, I guess what every listener knows about you, is you directed two feature films, The Age of Reason and Fever Night, and you were working on a screenplay for your next film when we talked, but you, I think you were still trying to figure it out and you weren't sure it was going to, to um, be a sustainable thing. And also wait, one last thing before you start talking, um, <laughs> because of that episode and you introducing me to the Truby book, I picked that book up and have been reading it and using it and really like it. Oh, good. It. Yeah. Truby's great. He's got, he's got yeah, a lot of good stuff. I really like yeah. it. Nice. Okay, you can talk. Oh, okay. It's cool. <laughs> I don't know what we need to talk about. I guess it's mainly just to get you back on and be like, all right, yeah. so that's where we yeah. were in 2015. Yeah. Where are you now? I know you're in LA. What else? Yeah, is going lots on changed. Um, it's been a crazy year, so I'm like going through a divorce right now, and it's that's been uh, interesting. Um, but I guess since we last talked, let's see. Yeah, still writing scripts. Started making short films again. 
I think last time we talked, I had talked about a couple projects, um, short films, um, some experimental work, and I, I actually just finished shooting a um, surrealist documentary, which I'm pretty excited about. Oh, cool! So that's uh, based on animals in the zoo. So I'm I'm basically doing like a 20 minute documentary, sort of like I don't know if you're familiar with Boonwell's work. He did a lot of kind of surreal uh, nonfiction work, and a lot of um, people in the 60s. Uh, things like medium cool is another good example. I'm trying to no, experiment and really blend genres. This yeah, this there's... all sounds like good film school, film school stuff that I probably should have seen. Yeah, I mean it's a little obscure, but um, I, I kind of just let myself go down weird rabbit holes and see what I can. Uh, I try to just explore books and movies in a way that I find interesting without kind of necessarily outside influence. So. Boonwell made a movie called Land Without Bread, I think in the 30s, um, which was a documentary, but very surreal. And the narrator is just sort of lying all the time. And um, it's it's really interesting form. And I, I'm not really seeing it that much these days, but it's always something that's really interested me. So I'm uh, taking a stab at that. And it was my first uh, film shooting in black and white, which was pretty interesting. Um, and it actually, it looks great. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I think in the last two years, too, we released a book, um, and then I'm going to be releasing another book um, of short sci-fi and uh, horror stories in uh, 2018, probably, hopefully in April. Nice. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's great. Can we see this film anywhere? Um, uh, the zoo one isn't finished yet. The oh, okay. I did another one recently that's sort of like a take on... Um, another nonfiction movie where it, it, I tried to make the least, what, what I tried to make the least, what do you say? A movie where there's literally like no elements. The only thing is text on a screen and I want people, and I want to see if people think it's a movie or not. So the movie is actually, <laughs> I remember you talking about this. Yeah. The movie is actually talking um, in the first person. So the movie itself is a character and it's asking the question of what what is a movie it's another idea i've had for like many years and so i finished it and submitted it to a few festivals in la so we'll be waiting on that but we can't see it online yet um i can send you a link i'll send you a link after well that's just me but everyone else listening oh um but i do really yeah, let, let me it. see let me see if i can put something up and host it um where people can actually see it i don't have a link to like plug on the radio but maybe i can give it to you for later and you can yeah put even it up. if you can just give us a link to put in the show notes that's like a private thing that only people that go to the show notes click on it th- th- we could do that too it's something yeah that'd be something great super hidden yeah yeah and i'm not like uh really precious about people not seeing it i just don't have it set up so i'll definitely do <laughs> okay. that for you yeah i'd love to see it it sounds great I, I i remember a friend of mine in high school had a similar idea but his idea was more that like the you would be watching a movie, but then the movie itself over time would become conscious. But we never figured out like what happens along the way. So maybe this senior short will give me some ideas. Yeah, that's a good idea. I've always kind of been obsessed with like transcending <laughs> movies and trying to make the movie itself its own right. character. It's a very Charlie Kaufman idea. It's like almost yeah. adaptation almost does that, right? Yeah. Oh, that movie's so good. The other thing that we talked about last time you were here was your feature at age of reason was looking for a distribution or like in the distribution, you know, cycle. So is there any updates on that yet? Is the movie out? Can people see it? 
No, and in fact, it's we're still waiting. It's being we went through a company that's been uh, we went through distributor. Actually, we ended up doing that. We we got a foreign sales agent maybe like a year ago, and unfortunately, like nobody's interested. <laughs> um, oh. So we've our foreign sales agent has been going to you know all the big big um, you know he's at AFM and Can, and I think you said you mentioned Ulrich that you saw it there, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, I did. I saw it at a company. I don't think I got a chance. Maybe I did talk to them. I can't remember, but I think I might, I might have said, hey, I, I love this movie or whatever, but... Oh, you saw it at AFM? Not the actual movie, but just the poster. Yeah, that's at awesome. At a company. Yeah. Like, I know that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a couple of those where I was like, oh, I know that movie. I know that person, you know, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't think they wanted to talk to me because they're not the same, That they're not looking for the, the type of movie that I had, you know, so... Anyway, so yeah, so it's with this foreign sales agent, and it's with distributor. So when is it going to be on iTunes? Is that happening, or? Well, I don't think I really want to put it on iTunes because I don't think there's like a good market for it on iTunes. Um, they're they're trying to, they're pitching it to Netflix and Hulu, but it's been hung up in their queue for like a few months because apparently Netflix got some new buyer, and they have to like start the process over. So I mean, we we hooked up with distributor distributor like three or four months ago. And it passed their internal review. They liked it. But now they have to um, pitch it to Netflix and Hulu. And it's just kind of caught up. So the, the struggle continues. Um, but if it doesn't go there, well, it'll be on Amazon. Interesting. So, But you just don't want it on iTunes just because you don't think people are going to watch it on iTunes? I'm not like opposed to it being on iTunes. But it does cost some money to get it on there. And quite honestly, like I'm kind of overspending money on this movie. So, um, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's kind of like, and, and also it's iTunes isn't like a great market for, for my research for like this type of movie. It does really well for documentaries, but I don't really see it. You know, we could put it up just to have it up there, but I don't really think it will get seen, you know, streaming service. I just want to get as many eyes on it as possible. So, um, somewhere like a pay you know, a subscription service I think would be great where it's just streaming instead of you having to buy it. If you're targeting Netflix, I'm guessing you're not really interested in recouping your investment. I don't think we're going to be able to, the the film's just so old at this point and, um, you know, it, it, you can still get a lot of eyes on it, but at this point, like it would be better to just get eyes on it and it would help us career wise instead of trying to recoup the money at this point, you know, foreign sales would have been a a nice little boost, but it doesn't seem like it's working out. We had a, we actually had China interested in it, but it, I don't think it passed their censorship review. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot about this censorship review. It sounds like it's pretty hardcore over there. Yeah. And that it changes all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not really that's what into, they even like, look for. Free ideas, well, not free ideas, but just ideas with like I think things that are too. Well, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. But there's like, <laughs> there was a couple of things because I, I talked to some Chinese, um, you know, foreign uh, buyers um, at AFM, and they were telling me about what what they like and what they don't like. But like, I guess they don't really like portals and other worlds and other dimensions. Things. Yeah, but they like robots and they like aliens. <laughs> but they don't like portals and they don't like things that would question your own your own existence, you know? I think. Yeah. Anyways. Um Well, how's LA? Should we move down there? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love LA. I live in Los Feliz and it's just like the best neighborhood. It's always where I wanted to live and it's very walkable and um 
you know, most of my friends down here live within like two miles. So I just, and my writing partner lives about a mile away. So I just walk to his place every day and we watch bad movies and make dinner and, uh, you know, work on stuff. <laughs> and how do you pay the bills? Well, I took my job actually down here. So I'm, I work full-time remote now. I write for a tech company up in San Francisco. And um, fortunately, they were, you know, I'm, I'm on salaries, which is great. So I just work from home and I put in my time and then I work on my stuff. Oh, so it's great. a really good situation. That's um, awesome. Hopefully next year, yeah, hopefully next year, maybe I'll transition to um, something in the industry. Um, but we'll see. I mean, right this year's kind of just been getting used to this new life and being single and uh, getting my place set up and figuring out what's really important. So, yeah, the big reason you moved to LA was really to be closer to your writing partner, right? Yeah. And to, um, you know, give this thing a go, like I've been doing film for, for so long. Um, but I mean, it would be really nice to make it into an actual career um, and right. do that full time. That's the dream, right? Yeah. Filmmaking and, and writing. And, you know, if I can, uh, keep writing books and make money that way. Eventually, that would be great too. What do you think your career would look like if it was if you had a career in film? Um, I think in the short term is what I think it would look like, and then what I want it to look like. But I think in the short term, what I would really like to do is to be constantly pitching uh, web series and movies as much as we can, and trying to just get stuff made. I think uh, working for a um, a show would be great. I've got a lot of friends who. Uh, run or write on uh, TV out here and um, it seems like a pretty fun I would love to be in a writer's room and just experience that there's a lot of really talented people out here that I would really like to work with and um, you know there's some good opportunities down the road if things work out that I could actually join uh, shows and what has changed since you moved to LA is it has there been a big difference since you've been down there is it like I mean have you had opportunities to pitch ideas yet or anything like that or is it just sort of getting used to the area yeah, I think uh, 2018, we're going to be able to pitch a lot um, just through the contacts that we've made and getting a better sense of what channels are need what. You know, some channels have actually shut down that we were going to go to. So I think full screen um, is stopping. I think they're shutting down at the end of the uh, year and selling off other content. Really? So, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, Shutter. Or is it Shutter? I don't know if Shutter's shutting down too. Um that could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But um, so just kind of getting a lay of the land. We've got a lot of different projects um, in in uh, various stages and just seeing what people need and how we can kind of fill that void and uh, try to get stuff made. Nice, you know? man. That's awesome. Well, what what advice? I mean, having I mean, you're a little interesting of a, of a of a of a case because you already have a lot of friends in Los Angeles and your writing partners there and everything. But Basically, the question would be like, you know, for someone moving to Los Angeles, like what would, do you have any tips of like what to do when you get down there and like, you know, ways that you can, you know, sort of be a part of the community or anything like that? Well, the great thing about LA is that there's a community for everything. So there's a huge comedy scene. There's um, really kind of niche, fun communities that are actually very inclusive. Um yeah, I mean, I think if someone's moving to L.A., I would say to try and really define what it is you want and what makes you happy and then um, really develop your craft. You know, I, I get sometimes I get that question 
or similar questions. And my, kind of my answer is always the same. It's kind of like fall in love with what you, you know, find what you love and fall in love with it hard and then work on your, um, and just do that. And then try to find people who are doing similar things or whose work you just like. Um, again, yeah, I kind of lucky because I, you know, just through knowing certain people for this long can go to any number of, of groups and kind of fit in just because I've, you know, because that's the way it is. I think it would be very difficult if I didn't know, um, anybody, but I think at the end of the day, it's still about doing what you love and, um, the rest kind of comes from that. You know, I've gotten like people interested in, not people interested, but I, I got to know people just based on, you know, talking about the things I love, like writing, like the books, you know, that's been like a big, um, kind of conversation starter and, um, you know, letting myself get really weird <laughs> with things like really go down rabbit holes with what I think is interesting. And, um, I think people gravitate towards people who are really passionate about what they do. Um, you know, the community here in the circles that like I run with, um, everybody's really passionate about certain things and what they do. And then we can come together and kind of do it together. Um, like I can help out on my friend's variety show that they do in Burbank every month and, um, contribute to, you know, my friends, another guy's, uh, show that he's just did a pilot for, I can help him, um, you know, with his story stuff. And you just kind of, you know, at the end of the day, I just like working with people and I like figuring out stories and I like trying new things. So I think if you kind of keep it in that perspective, it makes, you know, talking to people a bit easier if it's all about making connections so that you can get a job or, you know, get money or something. It doesn't really work out that way. I think it's important to focus on what you love. Right. Just be a, be into the things that you're doing, you know, and find the people who are also into the things that you're doing and then just go from there. Right. I mean, that seems pretty, pretty simple. Um, cause that's, <laughs> yeah, cause that's what does. you do. I mean, that's what I've been doing in the Bay area a little bit. I mean, not as much as I should, but you know, to some extent, and even with this podcast, you know, like we just talk about what we like, you know, with the filmmaking, and then you meet people who also like filmmaking, and then you just start to create, um, you know, a little community of people who all share the in same interests, you know. Um, and the thing about Los Angeles that I've noticed since I've been spending a little bit more time down there is that uh, there's just so many events. Like, you know, the amount of events they have for film here is like, you know, just a tiny fraction of what is available in Los Angeles. So I feel like you could just go to like online and find different events like every night and just go to them. And, you know, probably events that are tailored to your specific interests as well. And then just start spending time with those people and going to those events. And eventually, you know, I don't know, you'll just, I mean, if you, especially if you don't know anybody, like that's why it's a good way to like meet the people that you're going to, you know, spend time with him who, who may be your friends, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. There's stuff to do like every night. So you can, you know, I, I've the circle. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with everything is terrible. They're like a, a video channel. I've been doing this for about 10 years where they repurpose, uh, public access TV and, and strange, uh, home video clips and things like that. And they, uh, really turn it into something very twisted. Um, so I've been following them for like years and they just had their big 10th anniversary show, which was a complete, they're the guys who are collecting Jerry Maguire tapes. I don't know if you've heard about that. No. Um, 
but like that's a really good example of like a niche community that's just fun and um you know it's very inclusive and um you know i, I really i really like them so they collect jerry Maguire tapes like in uh, like video vhs tapes yeah so they, this is a group of people who are obsessed with vhs and so they um they take vhs clips digitize them you know, thousands and thousands of hours of it. And then, uh, re then they cut them into very strange, uh, they find like the worst, funniest VHS clips and they cut them into uh, recontextualize them into, you know, just pure insanity. And, um, it's really fun. And so they have all these characters and really, uh, pretty big following on Facebook. If you look them up, they're, they're great. Then they collect, yeah, they, they're on a mission to collect every v Jerry Maguire VHS. They have like over, <laughs> I don't know, 10,000. They're going to build a, a shrine in the desert with Jerry Maguire tapes. Why Jerry Maguire? I don't know. <laughs> you got you to gotta choose something, I guess. Yeah. And probably at the time that movie came out, it, there was so many copies of it made. I know, There's it's, it's a lot funny. I've definitely sent them a few Jerry Maguire tapes. Um, do you have an agent or a manager? Um. No, not currently, but we do have some actual leads on on managers. We're kind of an unofficial manager um, at uh, Amazon, and he he's like a development executive out out there. And so we meet up with him every uh, few months to sort of pitch ideas to him and get his feedback on um, certain scripts and then what to do with them. And <clears throat> he's yeah, very um, cool. he's very knowledgeable and just a great guy. But um, no, I think. I think uh, this year will be the year that we actually um, get an agent. We've been working on a backlog of scripts to go to, um, if not an agent, a manager, somebody, but um, preferably an agent. How do you start that process? How do you go about finding an agent or a manager? Again, it's it's kind of like through people we know. So we've got a few connections to, I think, CAA, like, trying to maybe start off with like a junior executive who wants to take our, our scripts. And we, we have a, as we finish up this new horror script that we've got, um, we'll be able to go with like a package of like four scripts and say, Hey, here's two young adult things. Here's a, um, here's the two horror things and um, start that way. Because I think, I think one thing that managers or agents are you know, they, they have, they're looking for specific ways to fill needs of other people. And so if you go to them with one script, um, it's just not going to fulfill the needs for, for everybody. So it's nice to have a backlog. So we've spent a lot of time, um, developing, um, for really solid feature films. And then a kind of, and then we're also putting together pitch books for uh, a couple different web series. Um, uh, one, Let's see. Oh, one horror and then one like uh, Black Mirror. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, cool. Awesome. And then all this stuff, is this all with your writing partner? And the follow-up question to that is, are you guys positioning yourselves as writers or writers, a writer directing team or or whatever they need? Or I mean, like, or are you open to selling your scripts and not directing them? Or what, what's the situation with yeah, that Yeah, I'm stuff? pretty open. I mean, we'd, we'd like to be... A, writer director team because it's fun and we like working together. Um, but you know, if this oper if the situation presented itself, um, I think we'd be fine with, um, selling something, not directing it. It, ju it just, just kind of depends, you know, we have to see, um, 
see how it goes. You know, I'd love to just like sell a script and be done with it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And then move on with your life. Yeah, I would really like to know what it feels like to sell a script. Um, But, um, (laughs) you know, it's... You know what could happen is you sell the script, somebody takes it, and they do nothing with it, and it just disappears into the void. Yep, that, that, that happens too, and, you know, that's the way it goes. It almost feels like the more likely thing to happen if you sell a script is that it just ends up on a shelf somewhere. I mean... I don't know if that's still true, but it just, I feel like a lot of the stories I've heard from other people is that, yeah, I sold a script and yeah, never got made, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. got a hundred thousand dollars off of it, whatever. But I mean, I think those are probably more in the old days. I don't think that's happening as much these days. Um, yeah, I think people are buying less scripts or developing them into web series or just paying less for them. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, It'll be interesting. We'll see what happens. And so is your horror script that you that you mentioned, is that like your your main thing that you're interested in? Or do you have multiple projects that are, you're really excited about right now? Yeah, I, I like this uh, horror script. Um, and then, you know, what's been great about writing the books and the, the stories is that there's a lot of opportunity to like repurpose those stories into other mediums. Um, so a lot of the ideas that I've had for this next book actually are work really well for a web series like a black mirror type web series um and that one i think would be uh really fun it's because you can do it's like sci-fi horror it's funny you know each episode has its own flavor and i really am liking short content for that reason where i'm not locked into two years into one um one film where you you know you have to you're kind of once you set rules and constraints for yourself, you can't go out of them. But with the short content, you do them and then it's done, and you can move on to something else, and you stay pretty busy. So I think those two I'm really excited about. Um, trying to think what else we've got. Um, yeah, you know th- those two I, I think I'm the most most excited about. I mean. Having read a few stories from the first book, too, I think that also lends to this, you know, sort of Black Mirror short content type type web series or show, just because each one's different, each one's weird, you know, um, and each one has got its own little universe that you've created, you know, um, and so far they all seem to be either like horror or sci-fi in some way for the most part. So, yeah, I don't know, man, you got a lot to pull from for sure. Yeah, I just... Uh... That first book was was pretty fun. The next one is much more sci-fi, Black Mirror heavy. Um, and it's also really sad. I think because of the last year, it's like <laughs> there's a lot of really sad stuff. Um, sad sci-fi. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's a better written book. And um, it, it's still really fun. Like there's some there's some cool stuff. Nice. And I'm, I'm excited to release it. What's the name of this book that you guys are referring to? Um, so I can't, so the first book that Ulrich's talking about is called What Goes On in the Walls at Night. The second one is, um, a sequel, a companion short story collection, um, of, it's called Vanish into Midnight is what I'm calling it right now. And it's a continuation of the first book. Um, mostly, mostly just like, uh, futuristic sci-fi stories. Okay, cool. What goes on in the walls at night? I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. Eleven ninety nine paperback. Paperback. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm if, buy if you sign off, if you sign off, if you go to 
um, andrewjschrader.com. You can sign up for email list and get it on ebook for free. I'll be releasing some stories uh, in the next couple months too. Good plug. Yeah. So, Ulrich, you ready for the last five questions? Yes, let's do it. Last five. Hit them. Okay, so uh, um, maybe about 20 episodes ago, I, I started asking filmmakers five questions so we can compare how everyone answers them differently. So since you didn't get a chance to answer these the first time you're on the podcast, I want to ask them to you now. Cool. Okay, first one is, David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film. Do you agree? If so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? Oof. Yeah, I mean, it's never going to be what you want it to be. I think you just have to do your best and move on. Can you assign a percentage to your films right now? Like a percentage of your vision that's making it onto the screen? I mean, the last two films have gotten everything I want. So So 100%? Currently. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so number two, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Money. Um, yeah, definitely money and making it a uh, sustainable uh, enterprise. Number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Stop caring about what other people think and just do what you love to do. Bam, I love it. <laughs> uh number four do you have a goal as a filmmaker i'd like to be able to make what i want and uh have the money to make it and that's really all i care about i don't care about being famous or being rich and last one is making movies hard no making movies is fun and you can make a movie out of basically anything but i like what you guys are, are doing it is hard but at the same time, it's like should be fun. It should be something that's um, enjoyable and that you love to do. So in that sense, it's not hard. But yes, it it also is hard. Right. I mean, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not fun. <laughs> that's that's something that we've been trying to to make clear to people is that we don't think that just because it's a struggle or a challenge yeah. that it's something that we hate doing. Obviously, if we hated it, we wouldn't do it. You know. Um, but I mean, yeah, that that's at least our stance. I mean, you know, there are people who think it is easy, you know, and, and just fun and great, which I mean, is awesome. But I mean, I feel like, yeah, there's always, if, if yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that if, if a filmmaker told me that they didn't come up against some kind of challenge in making their movie, like, I, I just wouldn't believe them because there's, <laughs> there's always a challenge, right? Well, there's a there's a quote from Thomas Mann who wrote this great book called uh, I think it's the Magic Mountain and he said that um, a writer is someone for whom writing is harder than for other people something like, along those lines and I kind of feel the same way it's like I want to go back to the way you answered my first question Andrew and ask if you're get if you're getting a hundred percent of what you want does that mean you just don't know enough yet to push yourself to that point where like now your vision exceeds what you're able to, to pull off. And that's why, and I wonder if like for some people starting out when they first start out making films, it's not as hard as it becomes when you, your vision for what it should be exceeds your capabilities at the time. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you need to, not you, but uh, one thing that I've learned is that like, the movie kind of find like you have to find a story that interests you and that you can tell and whatever, ha like, especially with nonfiction work, 
you should be able to make a movie out of out of anything. Like your voice should be able to take something that that only you see and make it into something. And you know, having these predetermined expectations of what something should be often has always worked against me. So like if I'm like, oh, it should be this way. It's got to be like this. It's got to be like this. Sometimes I'm closing myself off from what it actually is. And there's a difference between what something actually is and what I what I think it should be because I'm very good at deluding myself. So, you know, you also need to like stay um get out of the way. Yeah, you need to get out of your own way sometimes. It's like that with writing. Once mm-hmm. I let go of what I thought something should be and I was so, you know, upset with myself for not making something what I thought it should be, the moment I stopped doing that and just let myself write the better things have gotten and I actually surprise myself so it actually exceeds my expectations of what it is. So in that sense, I've gotten everything I've wanted out of the books and these last couple of films because I know things up to a point and then I'm, I'm okay with letting things breathe. Like I've been watching a lot of Herzog and, um, and reading a lot uh, of his advice which is completely counterintuitive to what you normally would read where he's basically like the movie's got to live and breathe and then you do it and it's done and you move on and you don't be precious. It just is what it is. And I think that's the key. That's why he's been able to make 60 movies in his career, 60 plus at this point, because he just, he finds something that interests him and he just does it. And it doesn't mean that you don't, doesn't mean that you compromise your vision. It just means that you can, give yourself permission to discover things. You don't have to know everything starting out. It's all about managing your expectations. Woody Allen is the same kind of filmmaker as that. Like he's not very precious and it is kind of like an exploration and you just kind of dive into it and figure it out, which is funny why like that, that question comes from David Fincher, who's like a notoriously persnickety director. Like everything is controlled right and so it's like it's just a different approach to it which is why i like that question because they're not every filmmaker does it that way yeah the other thing i would say is that i feel like andrew i don't know what what i'm getting from your answer is that you know you're just happy with the way that your work has turned out and you're 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 just good with it like and you're not like looking back at the those pieces and saying oh i wish it was this i wish it was that you know you're just like really happy that they ended up the way they did i don't know is is that is that accurate or yeah again it's it's like i spent so much time trying to control everything and it just made me miserable um it's not that i don't have a vision because i do like with the zoo project i know exactly what i want um but within those constraints you can let it breathe a little bit and you know I mean, I'm shooting zoo animals. I can't control zoo animals, but whatever comes out, whatever footage I get, I'll make something cool with it because right. I know that my voice. You know, I, I'm not sound. I'm not trying to sound arrogant or anything. This goes true for everybody. Like only you can make the movie that you can make, and you shouldn't try to make something because obvi- if you're going after something that's predetermined, a lot of the times there's a lot of ego involved because you want to be seen in a certain way. Right. And that's what I did for a long time. And it just, it, it made me miserable. So now that I'm just letting myself explore what I think is interesting, I'm discovering things as I go and that's more fun and filmmaking supposed to be fun. Yeah. I, th- I feel like it's a little like planning a vacation to a place that you've never been before. So I was like, I've never been to Spain and I have an imagination of what my trip to Spain's going to be like. And if I hold on to like what that's supposed to be and I go there and I try to force 
my experience there into what my original vision was, I'm probably going to have less of a good time than if I just went there and, and threw away what my idea was. I made all my plans and I showed up there and now I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is and just let it, let, let it sweep me away. And I think that's little what you're talking about. Yeah, it's very similar. I, um, I, I agree. It's not that you shouldn't plan and it's not that you shouldn't do your homework when it comes to filmmaking or writing, but at the same time, like it's very fun to, to let your, to, to surprise yourself and to say like, I would never have thought of that. You know, I'd never think to write that story. I just picked a phrase and started writing and stopped thinking and look what came out. I have this book now, you know, that Ulrich's reading and I'm glad he's enjoying, but that's not because I sat and thought about it for you know years. It was <laughs> right. just that I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit down and write and like, let's have fun. That's cool. That's really, it's encouraging, I think, you know, just to enjoy the process. I mean, despite the challenges, yeah. just to enjoy what you're doing and embrace it, you know? Absolutely. Well, yeah. thanks again for coming back on. It's good to hear from you and, and see how things are forming and changing in your life. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, always fun. And um, hopefully we can uh, meet up soon when I come back to San Francisco sometime. Yeah, or I'll yeah. be down in LA. Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Wow, that was great talking to Andrew. Um, you know, really interesting. Lots changed in his life, but yeah, great to hear that he's out there making shit happen. Yeah, it's really cool to catch up with people after a few years and, and see how much can, you can pull off. Like he, he's, I love that he has a book out now. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're reading it and you like it's it. It's really cool. And just the the fact that he's writing every day, you know, and, and putting time into his work and, you know, just spending time with his collaborators, you know, and working on stuff. I think that's really cool that he's like, you know, got that experience going over there. It's yeah. really cool. Well, I'm uh, excited to next talk to Arielle Zakowski because she's an editor and we don't often talk to editors on the podcast, but I, I really thought that her perspective is, is like such a important one to share. And yeah. I really, I just really enjoyed hearing um, her, her point of view on things. And especially those like, five questions that I've been asking everyone to kind of cater that towards an editor and hear that side of things is so cool. And it makes me excited to ask more and more filmmakers these questions from different backgrounds. Yeah, she's the only editor that we've had on, right? That's only an editor? Uh, at, like a solo editor? Yeah, I guess so. Like we've had people on that have maybe edited their own film, but as yeah. somebody who that's their only career path, yeah, she is yeah. the only one. Cool. Well, let's hear what she has to say. Yo, welcome to the Ariel Zakowski session. Is she here? She's, she'll be here in a second. Nice. So when we talked to her last, what episode was this? Was this like episode 60, 70? Let's see. Um, oh, gosh. I didn't pull it up. I'm a bad, bad, bad host. Bad host. Bad host. Bad, bad. <laughs> um, it wasn't that, I feel like it wasn't too long ago. Maybe, I'm going to say around, 75. I, yeah, I'm saying, I think it's going to be somewhere around there. I'm finding, I'm looking, I'm looking. Oh, 66. Episode 66. So yeah, we talked to REL September 2016. Wow, has it been that long? I thought it was like earlier in 2017. Wow. Um, and at that time, she had just transitioned from being an assistant editor to a full-on editor at work. And so over the last year, she's just been full-on editor, editing her own 
commercials and music videos. She edited the music video that we shot earlier this year that has yep. not been released yep. that you guys will all see. Mm-hmm. Um, and here she is. Hi. Hey. Long time no talk. How's life? It's been good. Yeah. Been editing at work, um, working lots of different clients and jobs. And then I also have been doing like more narrative things too. So I've been doing my usual like short films and things on the side. But then I also just a couple months ago um, left or kind of took a break from work for two months and went and cut an episode of that show Chef's Table. Oh, oh yeah, nice. that's a great awesome. show. Yeah, Super so cool. so yeah, it's been a busy year. <laughs> a lot of different things have happened, but it's good. It's all great stuff. So, how does that work when you're at an editor at a commercial post production place like work, and you want to take a leave of absence to go edit a feature or edit a TV show? Is that like something? that you can only do so many times a year or whenever you want? Like, what's the contract on that kind of stuff? Um, I don't know the exact, <laughs> the fine print. <laughs> I think I think it's sort of different for each company. And I think, um, I don't, I'm lucky that work is, is very supportive of people doing longer form projects too. Like, they have multiple editors who also go and cut features. So it wasn't the first time that that situation had arose. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just talked to them and they know that I have these multiple interests and things. So they were supportive. They were like, yeah, you should go do that. That's which great, was really it, lucky. There's been so many times. I mean, it happens a lot in the commercial world where you call and you want to work with a director or an editor and you hear, oh, they're on a feature right now. They're not available for six months. So really? It's pretty common. Yeah. I think it's not like. I mean, there's definitely some people that all they do is commercials, but I feel like a a good chunk of people in the commercial industry want to do other things. Yeah. The problem is those other things don't pay as much as commercials do. Right. (laughs) So the more you get get comfortable with the commercial situation, I think the less people are willing to leave. Exactly. I think it's harder to move over to the other stuff because you're like, well, I'm not going to make as much. And there's also the danger if you go off for too long, people are going to forget about you. Right. Or they're going to get frustrated that every time they call, Ariel's not available right. because she's working on chef's table. Right. Actually, <laughs> so from your perspective, because I never get to hear that side of it, how, like when you call and someone's not available because they're working on a long form thing, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I am usually like, at first, pretty excited for them. But then if I, I call like over and over and over again over like multiple projects. Yeah. So I'm, I'll just call them out. Stuart Reeves. I've called so many times to like work with this guy and he's never available. And so eventually I just give up and I move on to the next person, Mm. you know, you know, it takes a while before you're just like, all right, well, they're never available. So I just, I guess I should find my other, my next go-to person. Right. Um, Right. But yeah, I think you can get away with it. Like if, as long as you pocket it and you, if somebody really likes working with you, they can get in with you at least a few times a year. Right. That's fair. Yeah. So what kind of stuff have you been editing at your commercial job? This year has been kind of all over the place, actually. Done a lot of music videos, which I really like because they are probably one of the most creative things editorially that I get to work on. Um, And then commercials kind of all all over the map a bit. I spent a long time working on these 
spots for like a mobile game called Ebony, which were really fun because they were very. They I don't know they shot in where were they shooting New Zealand and somewhere in Eastern Europe and the footage oh, cool. looked amazing and uh, like Aaron Eckhart was in it and stuff so that was really fun and the spots are kind of they were a good time um, and then yeah I've worked on yeah different music videos and then a couple short films and a TV show and then the Chef's Table thing <laughs> it was kind of a little of everything. <laughs> and and is all that stuff through your agency or is only the commercial stuff through the agency? Um, just the commercial stuff is through work, which is my commercial company. And then everything else I kind of get just on my own through people I've worked with in the past or people referring me and stuff like that. So usually with the long form stuff, I just try to juggle it. So I'll do it like in the evenings or weekends and things around the commercial thing. Um, with something like Chef's Table, though, that was a bigger, more full-time thing. So that required kind of a full-time attention for two months. Yeah. So are you still loving it? Because last time we talked, your main goal was just to find a way to just keep challenging yourself and stay excited about editing. Are you bored <laughs> of it yet? Not bored of it yet. Still, <laughs> okay, still, still diving in. Um, no, I think one of my favorite things about the fact that I was lucky enough to get to do all these different kinds of projects this year is that I did really feel like I was constantly challenging myself, especially by like doing one thing and then jumping to a totally different style of narrative or storytelling. I think you're constantly like throwing yourself at a new challenge and trying right. to kind of rewire your brain in that moment to learn how to tell that specific story. So Jumping from like a slew of music videos to a hour long documentary was a very different experience, um, right. and it was hard for sure. But by the end, I was like, "Oh wow, I definitely I learned a lot doing this," hmm. which is really the goal, I think. Yeah, is to constantly be challenging yourself. Do you know what kind of project you want to find next to help kind of keep growing and challenging yourself, or at this point, are you just taking anything on just to still just keep it fresher? I guess, I'm, I guess I'm asking, do you have like a specific goal that you're after for the next year? My personal philosophy is to just say yes to as many things as I can. Because oh, I think, you and Ulrich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which sometimes is not the wisest thing when suddenly yeah. you have 15 things you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But, but to me, I always, I feel like there's something to learn from every project and people to meet on every project. And the more people you interact with and stories you challenge yourself with. Um, I feel like the better you get at your craft and the more opportunities come from those projects. So I, I feel like this year saying yes to as many things as I did is already starting to lead to a bunch of new things, which is exciting and terrifying at the same time. Um, <laughs> so as much as I'd love to plan and write goals and be like, oh, this year I'll cut this kind of project... I'm starting to realize that that's <laughs> a little bit unrealistic. Right. Um, so I think I'm going to try to just see what happens and see what things come up based on the work I've been doing, which is also another reason you should kind of always try to be doing things that are really interesting to you and things that you projects that you love, because then the projects that result from those will be kind of in line with that, you know? 
Yes. I think that's the most important thing. Because you're not saying yes to everything, even though you said that. Right. I'm not. <laughs> you're saying no to certain things. Yeah. But I, especially on the commercial end, like I'm just talking commercial directors. Yeah. They're judged so much by what they choose to direct. And the things that you choose to direct and the things that build your reel is going to lead to work like that. So you have exactly. to be kind of very choosy to make sure that everything's kind of living in a certain world to help kind of further your career in a direction you want to go in. Exactly. Otherwise, it could go in a completely opposite direction. And if you're not happy with that, you'll just be kind of stuck with it. Yeah. I was actually just talking yesterday with someone about reels and how as much as like most people can obviously do more than the six things that are on their reel. <laughs> right, yeah, of course. <laughs> but we were saying, or we're talking about how it's interesting how, especially with commercial reels, I think, and maybe this applies to everything, um, but that you sort of have to establish a style that you like enjoy doing or can do well within the six things or whatever that are on your reel so that people can think of you and know, oh yeah, that's that's the thing that he does or the thing that she does well. So kind of like like crafting your reel to be something reflective of you, which I guess seems sort of the obvious, but making it, making <laughs> it, it specific is. enough that, that you want to be doing those kinds of jobs that are coming to you because of what's on the reel, you know? So has your reel changed a bunch in the last year or is it the same as it was last time you were on the show? I think it's different. It should be different. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny because you work on something and then sometimes it still takes six months before it even comes out so there's this weird right. delayed reaction of updating that but yeah i think it i think it's different from the last time we spoke nice so here's another question and i don't know if you feel comfortable ans answering this question but i'm just curious like what are the kinds of things you've turned down this year and and why well sometimes the number one reason to turn something down is scheduling for me because at a certain point, you just can't keep taking things on. Um, another reason, I don't know. I guess if I just am not, I guess, creatively inspired by the job, or if it's something that I just don't think is in my style. Um, like in the past, I've turned down music videos. If I listen to the song and I'm like, I just can't do this this oh, yeah. is not You're, a song you gotta sit in a room listening to that song right. over and over right. and over and I'm over like, and over again yeah i know someone is gonna really enjoy this and do a great job i just don't think i'm the best person for it or i don't do too much comedy actually comedy editing which is an art form for sure um so i sometimes will turn down things that are very you know like comedic short films and things like that nice um but so it sounds like it's not really that as much that you've turned down things because of the content it's more because you're just you know working on so many things and if they need it done in a certain time you're just like i can't i can't get it done for you right right yeah exactly that makes sense yeah yeah you do sound like me i or at least the old me i'm trying to be a new focused person where i don't take on as many things and i try to just focus on getting this one big project i'm working on done but yeah uh, but yeah, I get really tempted by opportunities, you know, it just gets really exciting to be like, oh yeah, I'll produce this thing right. with you, or oh yeah, I'll make this movie, like, oh exactly. yeah. Exactly. But yeah, trying to, especially when I'm, I'm trying to make a feature now, so I'm I'm really 
just I need to focus on that. I know I know that there's there's a world where I could do side projects and make this movie at the same time, but um I think like, you know, unless there's a budget behind it, like I just need to focus on the feature, you know, and just get that done. So Yeah. Yeah. That's a big job. So you know, Ariel, Ulrich's been producing some commercial stuff with me. Like that Xfinity spot that I sent you, he produced. Oh no way. Yeah. Yay. So Aww. he has been he has been saying yes. <laughs> he only says yes so if there's money involved. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Professionally, I guess I yeah, should say. He, he did he did bail on, on producing my feature film. Which right. we haven't actually told anybody on the podcast yet. Well, I don't know if we've <laughs> even told anybody on the podcast that he did agree to produce my film. Right. Wow. So but this is the big, the big reveal. This, this is the big reveal, guys. <laughs> <Yeah. everyone. laughs> no, but I mean, all, it's great because Auric decided what he, he wanted to focus and he wanted to turn away some other stuff so he could really focus on being a director. And I fully support that. So yeah, I think yeah. it's good. Yeah. It's hard to make those kind of choices. But when you know that there is something that you really want, you kind of have to... You have to start eliminating yeah. the things that are distracting you. I mean, I, this goes way back to college, but, you know, I went to film school, but while I was in film school, I had a band, and the band and I were really uh, focused on trying to make it. Like, we wanted to be, like, a big studio anthem rock band. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a, a huge focus of mine while I was in film school, and I think that because of that, I, my, my attention was definitely diverted away from the filmmaking thing and I didn't really utilize film school to the best of my ability and when I graduated and I was kind of looking at what I was going to do for the the rest of my life I decided I need to start eliminating things in order to really focus and so when I graduated I decided okay I'm going to focus on writing and so I quit my band and I'm trying to think what else I did oh and I decided I'm not going to shoot things anymore I'm just going to focus on just writing stuff and, and it helped because then all I did anytime I had free time was just writing, 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 and I didn't have to get pulled into other directions. And I think doing, making that choice is a really important step when working in this industry because there are so many opportunities and so many different ways that you can always go. So it's really about taking that moment to take a breath and be like, what is it that I really, really want? And kind of restructuring the jobs you take or the kind of work you're doing so that you can gravitate towards those kind of jobs, you know? Yeah. Or I guess so that they can gravitate towards you. Yeah, totally. Um, So the other question I had was, looking to the new year, what are you excited to do um, that maybe you haven't done yet or maybe that you're really excited to do again? Um, Yeah, is there anything on the horizon for you? Yeah, um, I am going to work on a different project, a different kind of thing than anything I've done before. Fortunately, I can't discuss the details of it quite yet, but next time we talk, I'll update you. Nice, <laughs> um, nice. Sorry, yeah. nope, this is it. This is your last appearance this on the podcast, it. so you better spill it now. <laughs> well, thanks for everything. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll be working on that for first part of the year um but yeah I think it's really just taking everything that I've been learning in the past year and continuing to apply it towards these new jobs that are coming up and I think with each one especially this year I really have learned a tremendous about a tremendous amount about editing and storytelling and yeah I'm just excited to 
to see where it all goes. As you've stepped into this new role as like full on editor, what's been like the biggest stress or the biggest challenge? I guess it it was challenging to like when something like Chef's Table came up, figuring out like that moment of which of these two paths do I take in this moment? What I want is to have it all, <laughs> is to have the commercial and the film and the TV and do everything. Um, right. But to do either one, you have to put the others on pause. And so it's hard when I was kind of riding this wave of after being promoted, getting to work on all these cool commercial projects, and then suddenly you have this moment of, okay, do I stop all of that to go do this other thing, which is a complete unknown to me. Like, I'd never done a documentary thing. Who knows if I would even like it. So trying to juggle those different things. Juggle the opportunities. Yeah, has been tough. But that also is just kind of how this world works, where things Mm -hmm. are unexpected. And you kind of, I think, I think what I've learned is you have to just follow your gut in the moment mm-hmm. and if a project sounds challenging and exciting to you then try to make it happen and then not think too much about but what is this going to cause in five years because you have no idea but when you when you're following your gut and you have two things that look equally <laughs> appealing how do you know which one to go with <laughs> you just close your eyes and you point and you're like that's it <laughs> i've heard a theory that um you should always lean towards things that scare you or yes um yeah the thing the thing that feels the most uncomfortable is the direction you should head in yeah i agree with that that's kind of my general life philosophy is anytime i acknowledge that something scares me for some reason i have to then do it the minute that i'm like oh gosh i don't know then i'm like well go for it because that's what you just pick yeah i like it because then that leads also to the most unexpected next projects don't you think yeah that's true if you take something that isn't your norm then like you really don't know what'll happen after which Mm -hmm. i think is half of the most exciting part of this this world so have you done any narrative feature work in the last since we talked to you last um yeah just curious um no i haven't which is interesting because in talking about like i've always been into setting these goals And that was a goal of mine that I had probably for this past year. And I've actually turned down (laughs) a couple feature things, but all these other things happen that I would never have expected. So I'm kind of learning to let go of these. (laughs) Like, it's good to write goals, I think, because it helps keep you focused and keep you going. But then I think you have to also be open to things changing because you never know what's going to happen. So I've been really grateful that all these other opportunities came up that I would never have, have expected. So putting that on hold for a minute, and the then, right project will come along one and, day. And why did you turn those ones down? Was it because of just uh, the timing, the schedule, the, the time demands of the, those kinds of projects? Yeah, I think it's hard with the feature, especially in the first year of being having been promoted at work. I didn't want to leave and a feature... I think I got someone asking me to do one like right as I was being promoted and I was like, well, I can't <laughs> be promoted and then leave for a year. So, so I had to decline that. Um, but I do, it is definitely still a goal of mine. So I will keep you posted. <laughs> nice. Yeah, please do. 
So I've been asking filmmakers these five questions um, for the past, I don't know, 20 episodes. But they're really focused more like the the directing side of things. So we have mm-hmm. to kind of tailor them to, to you. So you have to bear with me a little bit. You have to edit them. <laughs> I have to edit them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read the first one and then we, we'll, we'll talk about it from an, an editor's perspective. Okay. So David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film. Do you agree? And if so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? So I think there's two ways you could answer this. You could answer this from your experience working with directors and what you hear from them as you're editing their films and seeing them, um, their depression. Or <laughs> you could answer it as an editor. It, I think it, it probably works differently. And I'm curious to know this too. When you see footage, do you have like a vision of what that footage should look like? Or is it much more of a malleable process where you're not really like, oh, I see what that needs to be. And then you're like working to try to achieve that vision. And so this might not apply quite as much to your side of things as it does to the directing side of things. Yeah. I try to take the opposite approach and kind of go in with zero expectations or ideas, preconceived notions of what anything should be, which I think is the value of having an editor at all. Um, definitely things change and things don't go as planned in a shoot. And the end result is almost never exactly what you imagined it to be a year prior when you had this idea. (laughs) Uh But I think that's also kind of the beauty of it is that it does change and take shape in a way that you didn't predict. Um, My goal is always just to watch I try to not even read the script right before I start working because I'll read it earlier on and then I try to sort of put it in the back of my mind so I have an idea of what the story is but I try to just let the footage tell me what it wants to be if that makes any sense yeah it does so and then what do you how do you see so you're you're saying that it's never going to be what you think it's going to be so how do you see different filmmakers deal with that as they get into the editorial process (laughs) um i think it's hard for some i think some people feel like they are failing if they don't make it exactly what they thought it was going to be but then i think others are they kind of learn oh yeah like this let's follow what this wants to be and throw away everything else that we had before um because that'll get you the strongest story is if like you use all these things and you do all your prep because you have to. And then as soon as you have what you've shot, kind of put that all aside and think, okay, now that I've done all of this work to get ourselves to this point where we have all this amazing footage and performances and whatnot. Now let's look at what we captured and see what the best story is that we can tell based on what we have. I've always heard it said that you write your film three times. Like there's a screenplay, then you rewrite it while you're shooting it, and then you rewrite it while you're editing it. So it's almost like you have to just let go of each revision. Yeah. And restart from scratch. Yeah. And be cool with that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, number two is, what's the thing you struggle with the most as an editor? Struggle with the most... I 
I guess, let me think about that one for a sec. I think that editing is a funny thing because it's like half editing <laughs> and then half kind of talking with the people in the room with you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and making sure everyone's feeling okay and reconciling all these different, sometimes completely conflicting opinions on what should be done. And sometimes this is super easy to do where people are on the same page or you're really connecting with the person. And sometimes it's more difficult where you can have 10 people sitting behind you and everyone wants to do, do a different thing. And I think it's sometimes hard in those moments to remember why you want to do the work. Yeah. Um, Cause you kind of lose sight of, of what is really going on. But I think that's just part of the job, you know? And, and what do you do in that situation? Like if 10 people are, all want different things, like do you just as the editor, just do what you think might, might work best and see what they think or do you have to wait till they all decide or like, how do you handle that kind of situation? I try to kind of take a moment to process what everyone is wanting and then think about sometimes people think that they want one thing, but really it's just kind of bringing to light that there's an issue with a specific thing, but that's not necessarily the solution. So I try to think about, okay, they might all say that they want different things, but are they all pointing to a similar problem in the edit at this moment? So I try to do that and then see if I can address it in a way where it is fixing the problem that all these different people are having, but maybe not in the way that they all are requesting. And then I kind of offer that up and I'm like, what do you guys think about this? And see what happens. Go from there. Okay, number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Probably to relax <laughs> and trust that that everything will start working out well. I think, I mean, it, it's good to be a little bit frustrated because it keeps you going and keeps you motivated. I think at times as an assistant, I got more frustrated um, to a point that it was probably not not productive so I think just trusting which is hard when you really don't know what's going to happen but just taking a breath and knowing it's going to be okay it'll all work out just keep doing what you're doing number four do you have a goal as a filmmaker do you have a goal as an editor yeah I have a million goals <laughs> um yeah just to keep just to keep finding stories that speak to me and challenge me and and continuing to work with people that I love because that really at the end of the day too is one of my favorite parts about my job is that I get to work with all these really smart and creative and talented people all of whom bring something totally different to the table so that yeah the collaboration aspect is absolutely my favorite part of being an editor so just continuing to do that and work with people like you guys oh thanks i was <laughs> nice. hoping you were gonna say uh, <laughs> sentence wink wink <laughs> <laughs> uh number five is making movies hard it's definitely hard but that's why we do it if it was easy 
It'd be boring, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's what, kind of what I've realized this year <laughs> is that one of the reasons I like it is because it's hard and because yeah. it's such a challenge. And it feels like I'll never understand everything. Like there's always going to be something new to learn. Right. And that's, that's exciting. I love that part of it. Exactly. Because the second that you do understand every single thing, then you're done on. doing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah what exactly. else is there to learn? Yeah, and you look at all these filmmakers that have been doing it for 40, 50, 60 years, and I feel like when you hear them talk, they're still excited about it because they're still unknowable things. And like it's always fresh and new because every project brings a new challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. That worked out well. I like I like hearing your answers to those questions. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Auric, nice. you got anything else? Um. No, I don't know. I mean, I guess the other question I'd have is like, if you're looking for a feature project to work on, like, what would be the fe- the the perfect feature project for you? Like, what would be that? What would the movie be? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an idea of exactly what it needs to be for me to do it. I think a lot of it is just about timing and the people working on it and connecting to the story and kind of all those things that need to align in the stars before right. before I can allow myself to take on a big project like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. You mentioned that it would take you away from work for a year. Is that really how long it takes to edit a feature? No, not necessarily. It can, for <laughs> sure. It depends on the movie. I would say anywhere from three months to a year is fair. Right. Gosh, that's a long time, right? I- <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to have that kind of budget for my movie for someone to work on it for right. even three months. I'd probably be like two weeks of budget and then, <laughs> you know, like maybe they right. can you know, put some more time into it later or whatever. Right. Yeah. How's that going to work out? Maybe you should. Yeah, I wonder like at our level if you just it's a necessity just to edit your own movie. I don't think so. I think that you just need to find the right editor who believes in the project and, you know, is willing to work with the lower number that you have, you know, or that's really desperate, not desperate, just like, you know, into being a part of the team, you know, I don't think it's about desperation. I think it's about finding the right partner, you know, cause I think in a lot of the, lot of the, a lot of ways, like it's not necessarily about the money when it comes to an indie feature. Well, it, mm-hmm. it actually it's never about the money when it comes to an indie feature. <laughs> right. It's all about the story and what you're making and the people you're working with. So, I don't know. I'm hoping to find someone who you know really relates to the material and wants to be a part of it. You know, um, but I mean, and then worst case scenario, yeah, I'll edit myself. <laughs> So, Arya, what's for Ulrich, what what do you suggest he do to get an editor on board? Do you think he should find them with just the power of the script, or should he wait till after he shot it and show some footage? I think you should definitely start asking people in the script stage, because as soon as you shoot it, you're going to want to start editing it, and then you might find someone who's <laughs> like, oh, I'm not available for three months, but then right. I could do it. But I think if you go to people, if you're flexible on the schedule of it, I think that would make it easier to have people come aboard because then they could do other, you know, if they can do other jobs too to kind of fund their lives and then also take yours on because they feel really passionate about it, but maybe they can only work on it, you know, during their off hours from their other thing. So if you give yourself a little more time to get it done, I think you're opening the doors to more people being able to take it on. 
Right. Yeah. And I mean, right now I'm looking for the future because I'm, you know, planning to shoot my movie in the fall of 2018. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hoping to do is get an editor on board soon just so they can be part of my materials and part of my team when I'm out there raising money. And then when it's done shooting, we we just go into the edit and then maybe they take like a week or two off from whatever they're doing and just focus on the movie for that time. And then the rest of it can be like, you know, yeah, off hours in between their schedule, that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I should probably send you the script and see if you're even interested because, you know, you're a very good editor and <laughs> it would be awesome to work with you. I think, I don't know if it was really obvious. The, the questions I was asking were, uh, <laughs> you know, it was obvious for, to me. For me. For I know someone Timothy like knows. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew when Ulrich said, let's get Ariel on the podcast, I was like, he's just going to try to pitch his, his feet. <laughs> These are all just a series of interviews yeah. for you finding your team. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for joining us. And sorry we kept you so long. I oh my gosh. 20 minutes, but it's been 42. Yeah, feels like that. 10. Thank nice. you both. This oh, is lovely you. as always. Thank you. All right. So, what'd you think of that one? That was great. I mean, very different than what I was expecting, but you know, I, you know, obviously I asked a lot of questions about like <laughs> trying to find an editor for myself, you know, and because, <laughs> right. because you do hear a lot of people being very selective on projects and, you know, it is a huge time commitment to work on a feature, you know, so oh, yeah. it's interesting for me to hear like what her process is. And it's interesting that she says yes to a lot of things and it all, all, almost always comes down to scheduling yeah. and it doesn't, you know, come down to you know, the, the type of project, although I'm sure that comes into play as well. Yeah, you know. I'm sure. But no, I, that was, I didn't expect the conversation to go in that direction, but it was cool that you are looking for an editor right now and to be able to talk to her about that and like to hear her advice on approaching an editor from her standpoint. It's like, do you go to them when you have a script or do you go to them when you have finished footage? Like what's going to get somebody excited about your film? Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like from my perspective, it's like I, I, I don't really want to wait that long just because I want to I want to build that team. You know, when you're meeting with investors and you're you're talking to people, it's like the more proof of your team, you know, yeah, and the right. more impressive they are, um, the better it is for you as a filmmaker, especially when you're a first time director. Like you want you want really experienced people around you who've done a lot of amazing things and worked on things that are way better than than the stuff that you've done, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, trying to find an impressive editor is part of it, you know. But Yeah, I guess I just uh, thought if all you have to show is the stuff that you've already done, but you want to elevate it and you want to get past that. And so you want to bring these people in that have done things that are better than what you've done in the past. If you only show a script, they're, they're going to base what you're capable of doing based on your past work. But um, I was wondering if maybe showing footage, if you shot stuff that looks way better than anything you've ever done, they'll get ex- more excited about it. Right. I guess from my perspective is if you don't like my previous work, then you probably shouldn't work with me. <laughs> right. Um, I guess that's know. true. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I, I'm, you know, I mean, whatever, my movies aren't the best thing in the world or anything, but I think they're, they're polished enough and they look good enough where I think it, it could show people that I'm serious filmmaker and that I'm not, you know, just out there with a handy cam, you know, um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, cause, uh, you know, I mean, that's a good way of making movies too, which is yeah. very different. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of segues into our next conversation because this is Evan Kidd, who we had on the show, um, you know, way back in episode 45. And, you know, he made his first feature for $3,000. And we were like, kind of like, you know, astonished at, you know, how he was able to do that for such a low budget. 
But uh, as you'll see, um, he's been <laughs> doing some stuff that's even more interesting uh, <laughs> in a different way than we than I would have imagined. So, yeah, let's talk to Evan. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Yo, yeah. what's up, man? It's been a long time. Long time. So Yeah, it's been a while. I'm glad that we've kept up over like Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. But this will be the first time we've had a conversation since April of 2016. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> a lot has happened it, since April of yeah. 2016. I mean, you were episode 45, so you're one of our like really early guests. And you know, there's a big portion of filmmakers that never made it on the podcast because you were on the podcast. And I say that because <laughs> you, you wrote us and you had this film that you just finished and you shot it for $3,000. Yeah. And so many other filmmakers have written us that same email since then, but oh, I'm man. always in the back of my head like... Yeah, but we've already had Evan Kidd on the podcast. We we don't need to tell that story again. So, so. I'm just the guy who like camped out out front of Best Buy the day the iPhone came out. And, yeah, okay. so you really basically. ruined it for a bunch of people. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Now we always ask like, what what's special about your story? Like, what's a topic that we could talk about around your film? Right. And a lot of people don't ever even get back to us after really? asking that question. <laughs> oh man, yeah. well, then they must not have cared that much. Or they're yeah. just like, well, I had a really hard time making it. Or like, yeah, well, of course. Of course you did. You mean everyone? The title has a of the show making is it. making yeah. movies is hard. <laughs> We've even interviewed a couple of people or pre-interviewed them and asked these same questions, and it just turns out to be like a very similar sounding story. And it's just like, eh, it's yeah. good, We've it's great, that. but yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing new that we can really share with people. You know, we don't just have the same kind of filmmakers on every time. You yeah, know? but I'm convinced that they do have a story. They just didn't don't know what it is yet. They just right. like we would we would mm. talk to them, and I'm sure we'd find something, but it's hard to take that leap of faith without knowing more. Like one of the things that interested us in talking to you in the first place was that you're doing this in North Carolina mm-hmm. because we have so many filmmakers on from the Bay area or from Los Angeles, a lot of California based filmmakers, but to hear stories from people making it outside of California is always good. Um, you know, so that was also a different angle with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you play devil's advocate with it, while they might not be, coming on the show i think it's cool to see more people whether they're you know in california or north carolina or wherever you know that are just making film yeah, because it's so it. democratized now um doesn't make it any easier but you know the fact that you can do it if you want to do it it is cool it is cool and i, I guess I, i'm i feel like i'm always responding to those emails like it's not impressive anymore to make a movie for three thousand dollars no, or twelve thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars <laughs> It's been done so many times, but you remember like when Robert Rodriguez made El Mariachi, it was impressive because not Mm -hmm. many people were doing it, but now it's not a story because yeah, it's been done and we've told the first step. And so I think that's important. And I think, you know, it's, it separates the people who really want to do it is, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's been done so many times before, but it's still necessary. Yeah. So when we talked to you last, Son of Clowns had, was had just been finished and you were yeah. premiering it or maybe you yeah. had just premiered it. I think we had just done the premiere. Yeah. It was probably, yeah. So we had just done the premiere and we were about to go on the festival circuit, which we did for oh, right. pretty much the rest of 2016. Okay. And then uh, we put it on Amazon prime, which is where it lives now. So, and how's it doing? Did it make its money back? No, no, not at all. <laughs> what? You no way. $3,000? No, man, no. Oh, no. that's so Amazon's Prime is, is not a place to go for money, unless you have like a really big 
built-in audience. Um, you know, if you're like a YouTuber maybe, and you make like some sort of film that you can tap into like all your subscribers, but yeah. I, I don't see it making money for anyone. Um, well, how much you know, do you get paid for Amazon prime? It, it's like something like 12 to 15 cents, I think an hour that it's viewed maybe. So it depends. Plus. It fluctuates based on the month. Cause like in December and November, I don't know if it's because of like holiday season and people having more time off, but those are like much better months than say March or April or, you know, the middle of the summer. Um, I don't again really have any reason why, but it, but it seems to be the case. Um, but yeah, no, they're not great numbers. They're slightly better than YouTube. So, <laughs> okay. So let's just imagine if, yeah, I think your film's probably not two hours, but I'm just going to say it no, is. So you it's like an hour and a half. Okay. Well, I'm just going to pretend for the okay. sake of math. Cause it's easier. It's You're my getting, first cut. It was two hours. The one that, 30 cents yeah. per view, you need 10,000 views to, yeah. to make your money back. So that's, that's why it's a hurdle because you need 10,000 people to find it and watch it. And, and, and how long has it been on there? It's been on there since November of 2016. And so and about a how year. many views have you gotten? Do you know? It's averaged around 1,000 to 2,000 a month. Again, some months are better than others. Like when it first came out, we were getting like five to 10,000. But that was only the first month because I think we had all the hype going on. And we had our social media, you know, really blasting updates out. And, you know, we had been promoting it on the festival circuit. But, you know, as you kind of disengage from your film, you know, I've gone on to do other projects since it's sort of you know kind of gets further and further away like a little satellite beam in space and so you know the further removed you get from it i think the less of an impact it starts to make but you know it kind of sits around i think a thousand or so a month which you know is not probably the best but you know for an indie filmmaker like me who really didn't spend too much money on the promotional side spent a couple hundred on facebook ads um you know it's really all coming out of my pocket and, and, you know, I don't have a giant, you know, fan base. I've got, you know, a couple hundred people that check out my stuff. You know, to me, that's cool because I like to imagine it's like having one screening a month where there are a thousand people. And if you look at it that way, it's kind of cool. But so yeah. how much money has that brought in? Not much. Um, maybe like $300 so far. I mean, it's really not, it's, no, you're not going to pay your wrong, bills. Then. Because by math, I thought I said ten thousand views would get you three thousand dollars, but yeah, that it can't must be, be hundred thousand right. views. Yeah, it might be a hundred thousand because they change it. They update their terms of service every couple months, and they send an email, and it says something like, "You know, we've changed the terms of service," and and it's not super transparent. I'll say that. Hmm. So I don't know. Like, it might change now that more people are on it. Because I know last year when we released Son of Clowns on Amazon, there were not quite as many people putting stuff on there but i think now more people know that that's a platform and so i think that might have changed some of the earnings it, yeah because it sounds like you if you're saying that you getting a thousand a month over the course of a year let's say including like kind of the bumps at the beginning of mm -hmm. it you should have gotten like twenty thousand hours streamed right you'd think that but you know every <laughs> month is not accurate and that's what i'll say is sometimes at the beginning of the month and and this is to say great things about amazon i'm not trying to like debug their program um no but like, we're just talking about yeah the struggle of yeah money yeah back but like i will it. say sometimes i'll log on and it'll say a certain amount of views and then i'll check back later in the month and they have a, they do have a disclaimer at the beginning of the month where it says your views may not be you know totally accurate they're estimates and then you can log uh, back in at the end of the month and kind of get a more accurate read so i think the 
best thing to do is to wait. Like if you want to look at January, wait till February is pretty much done. And then you can look at like what January actually was. So, you know, I honestly, I don't go in there and check it, you know, every day. I don't even go in there and check it every month. So, you know, I kind of disengaged from it after a few months, but I think, you know, that's, that's sort of what I'm guesstimating, you know, based on an average, but yeah, but no sense with the festival circuit no one came to you and said we want to <laughs> distribute your movie no no i didn't have like a big you know financier come through to really go for it <laughs> i mean we weren't playing at like you know sundance and south by and stuff like that you know we played some you know nice bigger festivals that were more regional like kukaloris in north carolina but that's not really a buyer's market festival um even though you know it does have a you know really big you know crowd show up and uh, has some you know industry connections i think it's rated one of the like 50 best film festivals just to attend as a goer just because the people are cool but i don't know if it's like you know business wise you know any of the festivals we played were ones that you were gonna you know kind of get swept up in a deal and you know all that i don't yeah. know that, if that happens that much honestly why didn't you go to something like distributor to like try to get onto hulu and itunes and some of those other vod markets two reasons so the first reason was to try to see what would happen if we put all the traffic in one spot because i thought at first you know if we're like hey amazon's the place to go you don't have to worry about this that or the third we do lose a few people you know who might not have amazon but i think a lot of the people who are going to engage with our film anyway were people that you know we're going to do it, you know, whether it was on Hulu or Amazon, because they'd, you know, they'd throw us a few bucks to rent because they're the people who, you know, had been, you know, liking our Facebook posts and following us on Twitter for months and months and, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, I think like the core group would have got it wherever, like, you know, had we put it on Vimeo, we probably would have gotten a higher profit, but I was thinking more long-term. I just kind of liked the idea of, you know, it's my first feature. I just kind of want it almost to be a calling card. Like, you know, we were talking about, how you know the market and the industry has changed i think that you know it used to be you make a really good short and that's your calling card and i think now with you know democratization of filmmaking you make a really good first feature and that's your calling card and you know it can only be you know so me so good i guess because you don't have all right. the resources in the world you know if you're just starting um probably not going to be special effects heavy but you know i think you can still make a good film you just have to be a little more creative in how you do it Right. I guess it just all depends on on how much money you're able to raise for it and how much you put into it, you know, and what type of movie you're making. Because I met somebody at AFM who we might have on the show, but, you know, he was out there pitching his movie and his movie is like a five million to ten million dollar movie or like two to five million dollar movie somewhere around there. And he had already raised two hundred thousand dollars for it before going to the festival. And to me, it's like, that's my whole budget for my movie. Oh yeah. You know, right there that, and that's like his starting place. And, and then, yeah. And then for you, like you made your whole movie for $3,000. So like, you know, the money that I've raised for my movie, that's like nothing to my budget is like three budgets for your movie or four budgets for your movie, basically. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, so it just depends on, yeah, the scale and the type of movie you're making. But I mean, I think it's much easier to get together, you know, $3,000 or $5,000 and go make a movie on the financial side. But I think that movie is, you know, not everyone can make that movie, you know, no, it's, it's a no. very specific type of movie. Right. You know? And it's not going to be a movie that, everyone and their mother wants to go watch either, you know, unless you just tap into like, you know, maybe a social issue or something that's, you know, really 
you know, on the pulse of the moment. Um, but, you know, a lot of times the first feature is very personal and, you know, it's got a lot of, you know, baggage maybe with it. And, you know, it's got a lot of uh, investment, you know, for you and your crew, maybe even your local town or your state. But, you know, it's harder to get it seen widely. But I think that's fine because I think when you're starting out, you really do have to define success for you. And, you know, three or four years ago when I was really just starting to put Son of Clowns together, just making it was my, you know, definition of success. Just making the film, editing it, going through the festival. And now my definition of success is different. And so, but I think it's sort of like stepping stones. You have to kind of go through the levels. It's like, you know, like a video game. Right, right. (laughs) That's how I see it. It it only gets harder the further you go, the more levels you do. The the other question I had was, um, how many distributors did you um, reach out to with the movie? Or did did you even do that at all? Did you send it out, like a screener's out to like a hundred different distribution companies and to see what they would say or yeah yeah i did send out a whole bunch of cold emails Um, oh yeah cold emails uh, i want to say kind of just suck in general (laughs) (laughs) like i don't think there's anyone maybe like one or two people oh actually i do have a cold email story um but they're you know by by and large i think cold emails just sort of always fall flat on your face and i think you just sort of set them out into the world thinking that, but you're like, you know, there's like the 1% chance. It's kind of like playing the lottery. You know, you do it if you're just really kind of bored and you're not really doing anything that day or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's time consuming, but it's really easy just to send a whole bunch of emails. Right. Um, but you know, we actually did, now that I'm remembering this, I kind of blocked this out of my mind. We had one really bad deal that was offered to us for Son of Clowns, but it was not from anyone reputable. And I don't want to like put the person on blast, but it was at, like a lower film festival that we were playing at. And, and um, someone basically just like tried to fund their own Netflix, I guess. It was very like, uh, you know, bare bones. And they're like, you know, we'd love for your film to be the flagship of, you know, this thing, which is going to be like Netflix for indie movies. And uh, this, the site isn't even up. I think it was up for maybe three or four months. So, I mean, we, we ended up doing the right thing. But, you know, you do have to be careful because like some people really just want to like take the rights. And like I was looking at the deal the guy wanted to offer. And I mean, the rights would have been his for close to 10 years. And I mean, I, why would I do? that you know it's kind of like one of those things so you know maybe i would have made more money that way in the short term but i think in the long term it would have been a terrible deal and so i think you do have to like think about stuff like that because you know not everyone out there is is having your best interest in mind so right well just the sense that i got when i was at the american film market and in looking at a lot of these companies that i was cold emailing yeah it seemed like that even a, a good number of them had submission pages on their website so you could actually just submit your finished film for to be considered for distribution mm-hmm. you know and having seen your movie your movie's a good movie like i, f- I feel like you know there's there should have been a distributor out there who would have been interested and maybe the deal would have been bad but you know yeah. maybe that would have been a different option to go you well you know? know and i would have taken a bad deal if it was you know something like netflix where like you know thousands and thousands of people would have seen it like you know i'd be like yeah i'll take 500 bucks you know whatever but you know i just knew (laughs) like the the little indie netflix that i was talking about earlier i mean that just wasn't going to happen and you know at least with amazon um it's yeah it's not netflix but you know it's still big and having the you know full creative control of the product while being on amazon is appealing while you know yeah you're not making a ton of money um it is cool that you can tap into the analytics and that you can you know just kind of keep up with what you're doing uh on that platform and and you know i mean i took it a step further which you know after putting out son of clowns i was in baton rouge louisiana for close to two and a half years and so i kind of just went 
I won't say backwards, but I made a TV series called Home Remedy, which we just released this past uh, November on Thanksgiving Day, and that's also on Prime. And we made this series literally for like two hundred dollars. And what we did was, and it was, and it was like an experiment. After making Son of Clowns, I was like, okay, I see that it's possible to do this extremely cheaply. Let me see if I can take it a step further in the backwards direction and just see like what happened. And it was extremely stressful because I will say making a TV show is nothing like making a film because, you know, we were filming on and off for several months and like our cast and crew, you know, they were on other projects. So they were getting like haircuts and facial hair and it was super, you know, tough to keep the continuity up But because of what we were doing and because it was this kind of like even more indie thing than Son of Clowns was. We just sort of went with it and wrote it into the story and we had like evolving scripts and a lot of improv and I would never want to work that way again unless I was being paid a lot more money but I'm glad I did it and I'm glad it was an experiment um, just because I knew that Amazon was a platform after making Son of Clowns and I you know had always wanted to do something episodic and so you know we just sort of took that a step further but I think like at the end of the day whether you're making you know something like Home Remedy which is TV, Son of Clowns which is a movie or you know even a short um the fact that you can make something and put it out there like you know amazon which is a big platform is something you know we really couldn't say we could do four or five years ago and i don't want to say it's any better than just putting it on youtube but i think it's more interesting just because it is a bigger platform and i think more eyeballs over the long term will eventually fall on it because you know we all know there's that weird part of youtube where you know stuff that was uploaded in 2013 only has like five views so you know that's like the youtube graveyard and i think it sort of keeps your work out of that Right. And then uh, how many episodes is this 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 TV show that you made? Uh, it's five episodes and they're 20 minutes each. Wow. Wow. And Crazy. it was sort of a one and done. So, I mean, it's really like making another feature because if you put all the episodes together, it's about the same length as Son of Clowns was. And, and on Amazon Prime, is it listed as a season and mm-hmm. all the individual episodes played out there like like all the other series on Amazon? Yeah. 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 And nice. if you just look it up, it's the same format as the series. So has that performed differently than Son of Clowns? Have you gotten it's more? It's performed a lot better, which is really? so weird. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't figure out why. Um, the only thing I can think of is that there was a slight partnership with some of the people at Amazon when we released it, and it's through the Video Direct Creators Program. And basically what I did, this was the one story of a cold email. Actually, it was a cold tweet I sent to the guy who runs Amazon Video Direct. He's like the president of it. And I told him, I said, hey, I released this feature on there. Um, I'd like to release this series, which I was like in the middle of shooting. This was like in, I think, February or March of this year. And I was like, hey, let's put it out there. Let's see what happens. Um, is there anything you can do for me to get it, you know, get more eyeballs on it? And uh, he just sent me like a reply on a DM that was like, here's an email you can shoot to. And so I just like sent this uh, other person at Video Direct an email on Amazon. And they pretty much came back at me and they said, you know, hey, we're not going to make it, you know, an Amazon original series because that's like a totally different thing. Um, and we're not going to fund it. We're not going to do anything. But we are going to look at it once it's done. And if we like it, we'd love to, you know, at least submit it in our like press release uh, that goes out to like, you know, the big things like variety and, you know, Mashable and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, what's new to Netflix, what's new to Amazon Prime this month. And so we did get on that, which was interesting. Um, So if you go look in November, 
we were on like a whole bunch of stuff like the verge and like but it was just a big blanket you know wall of text of like here's everything coming to amazon um but i think because we were on thanksgiving day the release i think that sort of helped us because like a lot of people were at home just kind of chilling out so i think more people had time to sort of just like binge watch something and i think nowadays more people honestly watch tv than film and you know for better or worse and so i think that might have helped us um but i can't really say because we put nowhere near as much marketing nowhere near as much time into the promotional side of home remedy and we also skipped festivals we went straight to amazon for making it uh and that's because you know there really aren't that many festivals that uh kind of cater to episodic content like that so i can't really say why that happened but it did and i guess that's a good thing but it's interesting all right, so everyone needs to go make a TV series for two hundred dollars, and yeah. that's the way to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, wait, that wait. was the thing. We we literally <laughs> only spent two hundred dollars, and like we tried to not buy stuff. <laughs> like it was it was the wrong way to work. Like it it, it yeah, was ass backwards. But well, um, how did you even do that? Did everyone have to pay their own food? Or no, like, no, no. How, we did have food, but like we had like really crappy cheap food. Like how did you have food <laughs> for a whole web series or TV show? for $200. So, so we shot pretty much every episode with the exception of the first one in like two days. So each 20 minute episode was was like super fast, like two days. (laughs) Um, like I said, I would never do it again because I lost so much sleep. That's insane, bro. That's so crazy. And then I handed it all back when it was done. But you know, it's, it's not a healthy way to work. But um, and I would never do it again, but I'm glad I did it in the first place. If that makes sense. That's a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 gotta. I don't know how how you gotta jump into something like that, but I guess <laughs> you, you, you just have to be. be I think crazy. a little crazy, yeah. And you yeah. have to find people who are willing, just to, as crazy as you, right? <laughs> if not more, because you know yeah. a lot of the people who worked on this, like I think on the first episode, they're like, okay, this is how we're doing it. All right, this is how it's going. But like by the fifth episode, I think everyone was in the groove. So yeah, and did you guys shoot this in Louisiana? North yeah, Carolina? yeah, it was all in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge. Yeah, so it was That's interesting because awesome. like it was an entirely new uh, town I was in for like the year before that, so I didn't really have anywhere near as many contacts as I did in North Carolina. So it was sort of like a weird trust building exercise because you're asking people to do an astronomical amount of things for free or cheap, you know. But uh, at the time, it was a strange story that like paralleled what happened with Son of Clowns. Like the film industry was sort of like in a stagnant place with some like state legislation down there. And so I think a lot of people were restless. And then, you know, here I am like, hey, let's make something. And it sort of timed out. Um, So I don't know. It was sort of a weird timing kind of a situation yeah i love the power of hey let's go make something yeah it is powerful and it is a powerful thing to say right yeah and and not everyone wants to do it and like you know i i got a lot of people in the auditions that like told me this is not the way to do it like some people called me out they're like this is not how it's done and i'm like well you know that's great but you don't have to be on set no one's forcing you so you know if you don't want to do it that's cool yeah, but, you can say no. You yeah. don't have to, you know, take take a crusade against me because no. I'm asking people to work for free. People right. do that a lot in the Bay Area too. Where like, if you post a, a thing on Craigslist and you're like, "Yeah, we're we're just making this thing. We can't pay anybody, but we'll offer food." credit and whatever people will get on there and they'll just start spamming like oh this is terrible don't ever work for anything like this this is not the way to do it blah 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 and yeah i think it's it's like yeah people can say no you know but mm-hmm. yeah well, and, and yeah. i think the other interesting thing about timing was um without going into like a giant backstory there was this like giant flood that happened in Baton Rouge area uh, in August of 2016. And I was making these documentaries about it before 
uh, Home Remedy, which was a narrative series. And it kind of just like wiped out a lot of the BS and pretentiousness and like just the vibe around town, you know, like all these people on the surrounding areas were flooded. So like, you know, in the months in the recovery, a lot of people just wanted to do something to kind of bring pride to the town, I guess, if that makes sense. And so I think there was a, a bigger willingness just to work on something that was, you know, local, you know, that had a uh, flag in the ground, so to speak. So, you know, our, our story had nothing to do with the flood, but um, I think the timing was interesting because I think it just gave some people something to rally around. Back to the numbers. Yeah. Uh, how many views have you gotten on Home Remedy since it came out in November? And have you made your budget on that back? <laughs> uh, you know, that's interesting. For Home Remedy, I've actually spent more on promotion than I did on the whole show. So that's that might be part of it. Um, so wow. I kind of broke my own rule once we got out of post-production. So I did spend like $200, no, no, like $250 on Facebook ads. And Facebook ads are really interesting. I saw you guys post an episode about it. I haven't gotten to listen to it yet. Yeah, we, um, my cost per click that I got um, was $0.45. Cents. Oh, you did way better than me. How'd you oh, get it that you? good? Uh, I don't know. Luck. <laughs> Luck. I don't know. So, I mean, we, we might have done the targeting wrong because I know that with the targeting – you have to sort of say like where people live, right? Isn't that what it is? Like the state or like what their choose, interests yeah, are. Male, female location. Um, there's a whole bunch of things you could probably even get down to mm-hmm. like what salary people make and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But yeah, like I, the way that I targeted people. Um, so I tried to direct people to the spirit machine. And so I did two different campaigns. One of them was to, um, age range i i I targeted like teenagers because i thought that was going to be my audience like 13 to 22 or something like that and then people who had a specific interest in like thomas edison and uh the 1980 whatever version of poltergeist and the prestige or um yeah people that like steven spielberg films and also had an interest in like paranormal stuff you know so it was like very targeted I don't have access to the YouTube analytics, so I mm. don't know because it's on um, the CG Bros channel. So I don't, I didn't really pay attention. I was really just more interested in the cost per click thing and just kind of seeing would one ad campaign work better than others and just kind of figure out how Facebook advertising works and uh, how I could probably use it as a tool down the line. Yeah. Um, we, spent a fair amount like i said just that first week just like 250 i just put it out there just to kind of see what happened because i'd never sponsored facebook ads before for a film and i was just curious and so like the first thing i did was sponsor the amazon link so i did like you know the direct link to home remedy and that didn't do that good but then the second thing i did was i put the video the trailer of home remedy directly on facebook uploaded and then i sponsored that and then that got a ton of views and so I think within that, I put a link that said, you know, watch full season on Amazon and then put a URL within the video description. And then that seemed to boost traffic a little bit, um, way more than the actual page. So I think like Facebook, people engage more with videos because they sort of autoplay. So I think that might right. be one way to look at it if I were to do it again. And what do you remember what your cost per click was? I want to say it was more than yours. I think it was like closer to like 60 to 70 cents yeah okay and then but then what were the views 
the, after that. The views on Home Remedy were really interesting. So, like, I was probably gaining like two to three hundred views, but it doesn't tell you which episode they're on. So it might all be the pilot. Like people could be watching the pilot and being like, Hey, this sucks. And then like, you know, bailing, or they could, you know, be watching all the way through. So it's weird. Cause it doesn't tell me like which episode of the five is the one that's garnering attention. But like when we first launched, it was like, you know, yeah, like 300 people on that first day. And then it kind of dipped down, but it's like averaged around like three to 200 a week. And it's only been out for like two and a half, three weeks now. So I'm, you know, it, it, I don't even know if it's accurate because, like I was saying earlier, the Amazon analytics are not super accurate until you're like a month out of what you're trying to look at. So I think it'll be interesting, like given this time next month. I think the November stats are going to be probably more, you know, concrete. Nice. So you don't really know how much, how well it's doing since it's so new. So yeah, you, you yeah. Basically, like three to six months from now, you'll have a better sense on, yeah. you know, what kind of return you're getting um, from it being on Amazon yeah, Prime. Yeah, because they have that whole disclaimer where it's just like, you know, the first month, if you're like in November and looking at November, it's an estimate, but it might not be entirely accurate. So it could be more, but it also could be less. <laughs> so, Well, listeners, if you guys want to go check it out, Home Remedy, it's on Amazon Prime now. Yeah, we'll we'll put the links to both um, Home Remedy and Son of Clowns on Amazon Prime. I'm personally a humongous Amazon user. I Me use too. it using Netflix and Amazon probably equally. I just jump mm-hmm. back and forth between them. Um, but I love Amazon because the Prime offerings are pretty damn good, and then you know their catalog of movies that you can rent is really good too. So you can pretty much get anything you need on Amazon. Yeah, um, which well, is really seem, fun. Yeah, they seem to add a lot more indie films. I think. I mean, not that Netflix doesn't, but I want to say that Amazon adds them a little quicker, and I think they buy up a little bit more, like at Sundance and you know film markets and stuff. So like, I'm seeing them, you know, a couple months after I'm reading about them on like IndieWire, like straight on Prime. And I'm like, oh, cool. I wasn't expecting that. You know, I was thinking maybe I'd have to go to the theater for it, but yeah. Um, but I, I will say this, like going back to the whole process of everything, um, you know, I kind of struggled for a while with like, you know, why am I making films and like, why am I doing this for no money? And, um, you know, right now I do a lot of music videos, which is strangely like one of the things that when I got into filmmaking, that's what was like my passion was, you know, doing that for, you know, free pretty much. Cause I just liked making, you know, music videos cause it's a super free way to make stuff. You're not really bound to a script, but like my, you know, hardcore diehard love for like the industry and money and stuff was like narrative and documentary and, you know, stuff like that. And now I pretty much make my living off of commercials and music videos and do narrative and documentary pretty much on my own dime. Um, you know, occasionally getting a small grant here and there, but it's, it's interesting how that's flipped. So I think now, like I was saying earlier, when you have to define what success means to you, I think now I've defined that, you know, I make music videos and commercials and I enjoy doing that and I'm getting paid to do that. And like, that's how I pay my bills. And now I get to focus on, you know, this type of filmmaking in my free time, which, you know, was not maybe my original plan and it might change, you know, in a couple of years. But I think as long as I'm making stuff and like, you know, making art that I think matters, you know, we do this to really lose ourselves in the process of filmmaking and not the progress of saying, okay, what benchmarks have I hit? And, you know, that's part of it. But I think when you kind of keep the process in mind first and the progress later, you, you'll find some sense of happiness. You know, you may not be rich, but you know, that's, that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, it's true. We all want to be paid to be filmmakers. That's just, that's the bottom line. We, we all want it. We all, we, we, that's what we aspire to, but 
really the you have to define success the way you're doing it, which is just finding a way to sustain sustain yourself and be able to keep making your stuff. And whether that's working a job in banking and doing films on the side or doing commercials and music videos and doing films on the side, like just however you can just keep making stuff and putting it out in the world, that's really all we should hope for. Exactly. And I mean, all three of us here work in the film industry in one way or another. Maybe we're not all in Hollywood, but I mean, we all have jobs that pay our bills with film, which is awesome because I used to work, you know, seven, eight years ago making subs and that sucked. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing bad about that. Like I respect people who do that. Yeah. Um, and then I worked at a camera shop after that to be closer to cameras. And I went to film school and like, you know, you, you take little milestones to get you where you need to go. But, you know, I think it is important to like, check where you are and be like, Oh yeah, I do get to like work with cameras for a living. You know, maybe it's not on Steven Spielberg, uh, Spielberg set, but you know what I mean? It's like, you, you kind of just check in every once in a while. Right. And then are you still in Louisiana right now? No, no, no. Um, so I moved this past summer. Like I was saying, I'm doing a lot more commercials and music videos. So I'm actually working full time back in North Carolina doing commercials, branding videos and music. Videos. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So back to North Carolina. Yeah. Which is cool. Cause you know, I've Sweet. got a, you know, a bunch of connections here and I've also got, um, gigs that occasionally pull me back to Louisiana. So I kind of go back and forth. Do you ever think about moving to Los Angeles or New York or to a bigger market? Or are you happy where you are? I'm kind of happy where I'm at. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. You know, it's, it's always something that's sort of in the back of my mind. And, you know, I've been to both LA and New York and, you know, I've been for festivals. We screened LA in LA for Son of Clowns. And, uh, you know, I've got friends out there and they're doing cool work. But I think a lot of people, um, that I do know that are out there are, are working sort of under someone. And they're telling me that it's really difficult to like create an original web series there just because there's permits and zoning and so many laws with, you know, where you can and can't film. So unless you're doing it like really gorilla, like maybe for like YouTube, it's kind of more difficult. You can't really like show up and, you know, film somewhere with a, with a crew, you know? <laughs> right. So Yeah. I've um, heard that's a downside to Los yeah. Angeles that you, like, you know, if you want a location, like everybody's going to charge you like, yeah. you know, a thousand dollars, you know, just for like an hour. Right. And is it like that in San Francisco or are they a little more lax? Uh, They're more lax, I think, especially if it's a narrative like project. I mean, you know, I think there are a lot of commercials and videos being shot here now. So it's, it's getting a little bit more difficult. Like I remember asking a place to shoot in recently and they were like, well, like, well, how much, what kind of budget you have? I know what kind of budget you guys, you know, so I was starting to hear a little bit of that, but I still still think it's really easy to find locations in the Bay area overall. That's good. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is really great, especially like, you know, in, in certain neighborhoods where it's really like cool looking and really different, got a different look to it. And then you, you find the right cafe or the right mm-hmm. shop that are, they're willing to let you use their space. And then it's like, boom, you got a really cool, a cool thing. You know? I don't remember who said it. It might have been the Duplass brothers because they did this like contest a few months ago for like making a series of like American feature indie films or something, but they were like, you know, all kinds of places in the country need to be seen more. And like, you know, cause if you watch films now, everything's like either LA or Atlanta, like that's the visual scene for a lot of these films. And so I think it is cool to like shoot something in, you know, North Carolina or Louisiana or San Francisco. Um, maybe even somewhere like really random, like Montana or something. I mean, I'd love to see more films from there, you know? So I think it's, it's just interesting. Like I say, as filmmaking is more democratized and like people figure out what that means to them, like what works come about from that. Yeah. yeah totally. Hey, you ready for the last questions? 
Yeah, let's, let's do it. Well, I think, yeah, I think we're good. Okay, cool. So, wait, wait, the last, well, actually, oh, yeah, one more. Ahead. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Evan, what, do you have another project that you're planning to do, like another web series or another feature, or are you just sort of like in, you know, work mode right now? I'm definitely in work mode. Um, I've got a whole bunch of commercials and music videos I'm working on this year to kind of wrap out 2017 and like going off to shoot a few more in 2018, but um I think the next thing I'm going to do is probably going to be a narrative uh, feature, which I had just finished writing like a month ago. So that's been kind of nice to, you know, dive in the writing process. But like now that it's done, I kind of hate having a script in my pocket. Like I kind of want to get rid of it. And the only way I can do that is to come make it. Um, but it is more cost intensive because it has a few more dreamlike and sci-fi elements. So I'm kind of breaking my own rules here. But after doing two very micro budget things, I think that, um, the next thing I do, in, unless I just get some crazy idea, I think I do want it to be a little bit more different. So, um, working on that. And then I'm also working on, uh, those two documentaries about that flood that was in, uh, Baton Rouge. So they're in the post production process. And we've screened one at New Orleans Film Festival, uh, two months ago. And then we're going to release the next one in like a month and a half. So nice. Yeah. So do you think you're going to crack $10,000 for your, your next feature? Or? <laughs> I don't know, man, it could happen. I think that's the goal. I think like I've set a goal for myself <laughs> that I might make another micro budget feature. Um, but if I do make like this script, um, cause I could very well, like I said, go write another one and shoot it for nothing, which I kind of want to do. But if I make this script, the one I was just talking about with the dreams, um, that one I would love to get like sort of a name actor. Like what's the analogy that the duplex, the like Randy Hercules. I don't know if you guys know about that. He made this like joke no. where it's like, you need to get like the C list character on uh, like two and a half men, like someone that you don't think about, <laughs> but would probably be the lead in a feature. So I think yeah. like that's someone who I might try to get like, cause if you can even get them for like a guest role, um, I think having somewhat of a name helps. So, you know, even if you fly them to North Carolina for like a weekend and, you know, they're in two scenes or something, um, I think that's sort of the trajectory I'd like to experiment with next while also doing micro budget, just because I'm nice. too damn addicted to it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Addicted to the stress and addicted to the drama. Right. Yeah. I don't even know if you tried to make a movie for over a hundred thousand dollars, I don't even know what, you what would, would happen. Do. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it would be great. Maybe it would it suck. Would be crazy. Lobster and caviar for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, so Evan, I have these questions that I've been asking filmmakers for like the past 20 episodes or so just to hear how different people answer these questions. So I'm going to throw them at you and um, yeah, let's do your best to answer them. So number one is David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film. Do you agree? And if so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? Mm, that's a good question. So I'm, I'm assuming that means like translating it from your head to the right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say that's a good ratio. I mean, I think it sort of depends for every project. Um, if you're doing something improv based, I think that's going to be wildly different, but I think in a Fincher type of scenario, it's going to come from a script. So <laughs> I'm assuming. And, yeah. and I mean, I think that's a great ratio. I think if you can get anything made in the first place, that's a win, but then I think you need to take it another level up. We were talking about that earlier. So I think, yeah, 70%, 75%. I, I think that's roughly what we're averaging. Number two, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Hmm. A lot of times it's actually just sitting down and writing. Um, making the movies and like getting the crew and stuff, like 
in the micro budget way. I haven't found a lot of success in getting other people's money into my pocket to make a film. But when I'm dumping my money, it's not so hard. Um, what's harder is really just sitting down and like getting the discipline to like write and say, okay, we're going to make something. Number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. Don't watch the last season of Lost. <laughs> Uh, what? Come on! I love the last season of Lost. <laughs> really? Man. Oh man, I'm sorry. All right, not supposed to chime in. You know, it's sci-fi. <laughs> it's crazy. It's got like a nice emotional ending to it. I mean, Timothy would love the last season of Lost. I think. Oh, I saw it. I I, I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No, oh, that was a really come disappointing on. ending. Time travel, guys. Yeah. Really, really? You don't love time travel? Spoiler alert. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, if you four. haven't seen it now, it's been seven years. Uh, number four is: Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I think if I'm making one piece of work a year, then that's good. And the last one is, is making movies hard? It's damn hard. It's, yeah, very, very hard. But <laughs> well, I think that's what makes it only make fun. it for $200. Oh, yeah. I mean, I make it hard on myself, but... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, I do like the challenge. I mean, it, it's like solving a puzzle. I've always liked puzzles. I've always liked, you know, hard video games. Like, you know, when I was a kid, like when people would throw down the controller... When the level is too hard, I'd be like, no, and I'd like sit there for three hours trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really stubborn. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think I've deviated from the question, but yeah, it, it's very hard, but I think that's what makes it fun. Yeah. It's funny that you brought up the video game thing because Ulrich plays all his games on the hardest level that you can set it to. Yeah. I try so, to. A glutton a for punishment then. Thing. I, I'm yeah. not that guy. I, I, oh, I like not to either. play I still a game play and it. challenge just yeah. enough where I feel accomplished, but not challenge so much that I mm -hmm. throw my controller down and be like, fuck this game, I hate mm -hmm. it. My, my little brother, he broke so many controllers when we were kids because he got frustrated. <laughs> He's going to kill me for saying that. He probably won't listen to this. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, I was always like picking up the controller like, no, 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 we'll figure it out. Yeah. Let's yeah. just keep going, man. We can do yeah. this. I'll have to admit, uh, Wolfenstein, the new Wolfenstein, I had to put it on just like maybe medium or like mm -hmm. one up from medium because the hardest difficulty was I was just dying every second. Like I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do yeah. it. You're like, but how yeah. does anyone survive like this? <laughs> but, but yeah, most games I get to play it on the hardest and I usually do, do okay. But yeah. once you get through that game, you should go back to the beginning and try it on the very hardest and maybe you'll have learned how to play it. Yeah, I think I would do better up. now, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, dude. Thanks for coming on. It was great talking to you and catching up. Yeah, man. Thanks yeah, for man. having me, guys. I appreciate it. In talking to Evan, I think the, the interesting thing for me to hear is just his unique approach to filmmaking. Right. And just it doesn't line up with how I would do it. No. But it, at the same time, it inspires me. You know, it's like I yeah. hear it. I'm like, oh, that is so cool. Like, that makes me want to go shoot stuff. Although I would never do it the way that he's doing it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I made that movie uh, Cake by myself with like two actors and, um, you know, and me and my camera and a couple lights. And, you know, I spent like whatever, like probably a hundred dollars on just, you know, a nice meal for the three of us afterwards. And <laughs> the fact that he spent twice that on right. like a whole TV show that's on Amazon prime right now, it just kind of blows my mind. Um, but it's just a completely different style of, of working. And, uh, you know, that's awesome that he's able to do that. But it's funny that he said that he would never do it again. Cause, uh, <laughs> right. I know. mean, that's, that's a tough direction, but I, I 
when I, I love having filmmakers on like this that just give us a different perspective than we we talk about or other guests talk about just because I want to keep putting out of the world there's so many ways to approach this and you just got to approach it in the way that you can get it done and if you can right. get it done for $200 and that makes you happy just go do it like don't let anyone tell you not to do it that way like, just, <laughs> right. you know you there there are going to be people that you're going to encounter they're going to say this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way to do it and if you feel like they're telling you the way you're doing it is the wrong way to do it. Just ignore them because they don't know. And I, there's so many examples of filmmakers that have gone off and done it quote unquote the wrong way and then succeeded. So, you know, just do it however you can get it done. Yeah. I mean, trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for a movie and then talking to somebody like who's made movies at that level, it almost feels like, they would look at me like I'm an insane person, you know? But. <laughs> well, I felt that way so many times on this podcast where I've spent $100,000 on a short film. And then, yeah, you talk to somebody like Evan Kidd, who's done a whole feature for 3000 I just, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> right. Like, what yeah, am I but doing? It's just a different, it's just a different, different style though. of working, a, a different style of film. I mean, I think most of the people that we've talked to who've made movies for under $20,000, they're all dramas, you know, and, mm -hmm. and not special effects driven and not, you know, horror movies or genre movies, really. So I think just by the nature of that being what we're trying to do, it's just a different, it's a different ball game, you know, um, which is okay, you know. You can't just compare yourself to what everyone else is doing. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. Final final words for, you know, 2017, making movies is hard? Ah, uh, well, I'm just excited. I just want to reiterate how excited I am for 2018. I'm excited for the podcast. I'm excited for the commercial stuff. I'm excited for your feature. I just, I think there's going to be a lot of <laughs> cool stuff that happens. I have no idea what to expect, but... As I said before, I'm optimistic and hopeful. And so, yeah, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun to watch this year unfold. Yeah, totally. Um, and so big news I don't think we've talked about at all. Next week, we're going to have our first sponsored episode of the podcast. It's actually our second. Because second. La last week, no, two weeks ago, we have an episode that's sponsored by Film Casualty. Oh, really? Two weeks ago already? Yeah. Okay. Just shows you how out of it I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you don't listen back to the podcast after we did it. But yeah, no, they, Film Casualty sponsored um, episode 132, Year and Drop Up. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, here, let me say that again. So this is actually going to be our second sponsored episode in the new year. Uh, we had one a couple weeks ago, and now we have this next uh, sponsor, Dissolve. And uh, yeah, they're going to be working with us through through the new year. So that's really exciting. Yeah. The podcast is finally sponsored. Yeah. Not every episode. Um, so you won't have to listen to ads every time. Um, and luckily the ads are just us. But uh, but yeah. I don't know if this is a good idea or not. You can totally shoot this down. But I, right. I, what, I did want to kind of open it up to other people to buy advertising on the podcast. Like, Oh, sure. If you're Because we've had filmmakers reach out and they just they kind of want just a plug to come on and talk about their movie. If right. you want to just buy like a little plug on our podcast, we'd be totally open to it. It's going to cost you a little money, but not a ton. So right. if you want to write us an email and you want to just like get on the podcast to to share something that you've done like we're totally open to that it doesn't have to be like a company you don't have to be selling a right. service you could just be talking about your movie or even you as a filmmaker if you're trying to sell yourself as an editor and you want to like put yourself out there we're open to that too yeah you don't have to be like me undies or uh, blue apron <laughs> or one of yeah. these other big time sponsors to sponsor our episode like if you want to just 
you know, get your movie out there to people who you think are going to like it. Um, yeah, you could sponsor it. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Sponsor really a Kickstarter campaign. That. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What else? Yeah, whatever you can think of. Like, we're open to it. Yeah, we're be down. Fun. I mean, I think, you know, if we're going to be having, uh, you know, li- listeners or, or companies support us and, you know, like us supporting them back by having them, you know, sponsor a show, I can't really think of anyone better than filmmakers to be that that person or that or that company like if you have a a feature film a short film yeah kickstarter anything that you want people who would listen to the show to look at yeah you should do that that'd be fun cool i'm glad you like that idea yeah i do all right thanks for listening everyone if you want to get in contact with us send us an email to podcast at making movies is com, or you can find us on twitter and facebook at mmih podcast you can also visit our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode. Uh, we'll put like the work that, you know, Ariel and, um, you know, Andrew talked about, links to Andrew's book, links to Evan's movies, all that stuff will be on there. Um, and while you're on the, the website, you can sign up to receive a weekly email from us and you'll get the show notes delivered right to your inbox every Monday. So, You'll never forget to listen to the to the podcast. And finally, if you like the show, tell your friends about it or leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, those are really really helpful and really wonderful, and we'll read them on the show. So yeah, if you if you if you dig what you're what we're spitting out there, uh, yeah, give us a review. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we like it. And I just wanted to like say one more thing. Like thanks to everybody for listening in 2017. Um, I feel like this has been our best year for the podcast by far. And, uh, yeah, I just really appreciate everyone's support and checking out the show. Yeah, I second that. It's been so much fun. And I love hearing from everyone. I'm really happy with this Facebook group. So oh, I feel like yeah. I hear from you guys more often. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and if you haven't, um, check out the Facebook group because, you know, it seems like it's growing all the time. Um, and we're having some really fun discussions on there. So, yeah, please check it out and, you know, talk to us. Tell us what you want to what you want to hear. What your, what your issues are. What you're struggling with. What what's working for you. What what you could share with the rest of the with the community. All that stuff. We'd yeah. Love to hear and it. how we can help you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, dude. Well, here we go. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Later. <laughs>